Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Grab Matters Podcast. Today we welcome on a very special guest and possibly the nicest wakeboarder on the planet, Ali Derome. Ali is a former professional wakeboarder from Quebec, Canada. Uh, he has since shifted from being a professional rider to a more behind-the-scenes role within the industry. Uh, we talk about the ins and outs of his career, what he's up to now, uh, and a bunch more with Ollie. Uh, it was a great chat with him. If you guys are interested in supporting the podcast, you guys can join the Patreon. It allows you to see who the guests are early. Also have some other exclusive content that's only on Patreon there as well. That means a ton. really helps the podcast. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. They're talking about wakeboarding. The thing about wakeboarding, every trick is an invert. Backside. Air railings. All right, we're diving in right now. Yeah. Welcome back to another episode of the Grab Matters podcast. Today, we welcome on a very special guest, Ali Darrow. Ali, how's it going? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm happy you're here, man. So, uh, we'll, uh, we'll start off with a few quick questions here. Uh, number one, wake pants, yes or no? Um, I actually, uh, well, I'll answer sure, yes. Um, I spoke to my wife this week about coming here, or last week, I should say. And I was like, man, so like wake pants, I remember I was a grommet, like I barely could wakeboard, and wake pants were so hot. Everyone wanted to wear them. I went to Canadian Nationals in the year 2000, and like wake pants were the shit. And then by the time like I started making it, wake pants were not cool anymore. And then they started coming back. I always thought they were super cool, and then I was like, "No, nah, they're not that cool." And then I see them again, I'm like they were, they were always cool. <laughs> so you think they're always cool? Yeah, Still I mean they're, they're cool? fine. Like you, you know, it's like to each his own. I agree with that. All right, good stance. Uh, favorite grab on a trick, probably melon. Okay, straight little, up, little melon poke. And if I'm just doing a grab, like obviously it's the method. Method is like the the iconic board sport grab. It's it's more than a grab. It's it's a trick. Yeah, it's everything. How's your switch method? Not as good as it could have been, because I can't say that I get to practice those <laughs> or try those very much anymore. You've tried them though. In the uh, I, I worked on them for a while, but they're hard. They're really hard. Extremely hard. Oh yeah. Yeah. You always end up going. Well, at least for me, I would go switch method. Oh, to fakey shit. Yeah. Or to regular. Hundred percent. Yeah. Shifty kind of. Uh, most important question: Where is Phil Selvin? Last I heard, he's uh, back in South Florida. You talked to him at all? Um, no, I haven't spoken to him in a while. Like, we text every year, like quickly, like "Happy Birthday," and then like "What's up?" Like real quick little text exchanges. Yeah. Okay. Just wondering. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to get a hold he, of him in the. Uh, oh, he's it's <laughs> he's harder to get a hold of than my brother. Your brother, I had no problem getting a hold of. Well, well, maybe I don't know. Special. Maybe he was a, maybe, maybe he was excited for this though. Well, maybe he matured. Maybe uh, you're lucky and you're special. Maybe it's like a bit of column A and B. I think it's. I think I let him borrow my winch for a while, and maybe this is a kind of like a payback for it. <laughs> Thank you very much, Raph. Great. <laughs> uh, all right, let's uh, let's dive into the early days of Ali Derome and the Derome family. So, run us through where you're from and kind of how you got started into water sports. You want to try having a go at where, what my hometown is? Uh, can you say it not with the accent first, and then I can try the accent? Because it's, yeah, just... Coteau du Lac. Coteau du Lac. Great. Wait, I want to do this. Coteau du Lac. Yeah, Coteau du Lac. Coteau du Lac. Yeah, it's a small, small town, uh, about 50 minutes west of Montreal, on the water. Um, very, very fortunate to have 
been able to spawn in a family that was, uh, you know, into water sports. It's all the passion that came from my dad mostly and his dad before him. They first saw water skiing when they came to a trip down in Florida. They went to Cypress Gardens and they brought back skis. And the next year they came back with a kneeboard or something like that, I think, when how the story goes. But, uh, yeah, my dad, you know, he gave us that passion. He did three events skiing and all that, and he wanted his kids to get a taste of it. How, how, just how good was your dad at ski jumping? He was fucking bad at <laughs> I mean, you know, technology back in that era is not what it is now. You know, perfect pass this and, like, special jumpsuits this because my dad was a jumper especially. But then, like, the skis and the bindings and, like, this and that. Back then, he, I could, I could, he told me stories, but I saw the footage. He's just wearing a vest with jean shorts because that's all you could wear to really break the enema possibility out there and uh you just you know knife in between the teeth pirate style just wait till the last minute try and cut over create that build of speed and send it as far as you can (laughs) but he won a lot of uh jump contests back then yeah yeah yeah, he did really good he uh yeah he he was a jumper okay (laughs) so when you and the and the rest of your family is getting into water sports you guys start with obviously water skiing correct Mm-hmm. Okay. And are you doing three event or is it? Kind mm. of- well, he first started with all four kids. We got our first taste of water skiing. We were on the side of the boat on the boom. And then like I was 18 months. I think my sister was a little older. It got younger and younger. So Raph, I think, was the youngest to do it. But birthday also depends, right? So like I'm a December baby. Raph was a January baby. So it depends also like what month of summer was it? Whatever. But my dad told me a story once that... Like, before I was three, he had gotten me, like, every summer he'd get me longer and longer, so I went full on, and I fell, and then until I was seven, I wanted nothing to do with it. Skiing? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to ski anymore from, like, four to seven. Why is that? I guess I was scared, and I didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah, I guess I would have had a bad experience, like, in the back, (laughs) lonely, just waiting for your dad to come save you. I don't know. I can't remember. (laughs) Okay, so what other sports, I mean, were you guys into any other sports other than water skiing? Obviously, there's a lot more of the year to fill up. And then just the three or four months in the oh yeah for sure i mean you know we we kind of did everything we grew up um we did karate a lot my older sister and my father and i so we did karate uh obviously like i wasn't like playing the team sport but i was playing hockey at at the rink you know every week with friends or with dad or cousins no just like um on the pond hockey like pickup hockey is just like you all show up and just play yeah yeah so you just go to the park and you play because there's rinks at every park like my hometown, there was like fifteen thousand people. We had four rinks, like publicly kept up rinks. Publicly kept up, maintained by the That's municipality. Awesome. Like there, none of them are like full size. Yeah, but still, you could literally walk to a park, the closest park to your house, and you could go play. That's awesome. Yeah, so we grew up. We did a bit of soccer. I mean, we played every sport in the backyard, like baseball, soccer. Like we did it all. Active family. Active family. I mean, my favorite thing was the trampoline. Since we got a trampoline, which my pa- my grandparents, again, my dad's parents brought back a trampoline from a trip somewhere. And then trampoline, I was like, man, this is cool. Okay. Did you snowboard at all growing up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess I skipped that one for winter sports. Okay. What we did it- skiing a little bit, but then, yeah, snowboarding. Snowboarding after you learned how to ski. Yeah, snowboarding. Okay. First time I went snowboarding on the hill, actually, my dad got a, it was called a black snowboard from Canadian Tire which is like the the Canadian like store you can get anything from like car parts to like Well Dylan Miller got his first wakeboard from a Canadian tire. Oh no way. Yep. So so he uh ripped off like the crappy bindings that they had on top of him and he took some skates, 
remove the blades, cut out the tongue, bolted them on the board, and then I could fit my little boots inside the skate shell with Velcro straps that he put on. But then he took me to the top of the hill, and then we realized it had no edges. So I was trying to turn down this hill with like a quarter inch thick plastic rounded Oh, it's a plastic board? Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly the board you're talking about. So he said, if you can make it down, I'll get you a real one. So I made my way down that hill. <laughs> <laughs> what, I mean, what age would you say you you're started snowboarding and then did you continue snowboarding after that first plastic board? Um, I was probably around, yeah, seven, eight. Okay. And then, yeah, I never stopped. Okay. And then when did uh, wakeboarding kind of come into the picture? Wakeboarding, right around, right around the same age, I started seeing wakeboarding on TV. And there were, like, I think brothers on the lake that were wakeboarding probably on a scurfer behind, like, a, a PWC. And, and, you know, I already three-evented at that time. So, yeah, it must have been eight or nine. And I was like, Dad, 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 I want to wakeboard. And he's like, nah. We're three events skiing. We're doing this. We're doing that. And then uh, eventually on the last day of sixth grade, I left school early. I got braces. And when I came back, I had my first wakeboard waiting for me. Okay. I was going to ask how long it took to convince your dad to get that wakeboard. Oh, minimum two years. Two years? Minimum two years. Oh, my. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. And uh, what boat? I mean, did you guys have a boat at this time? Obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We had a ski nautique. Okay. Um, dad never stopped water skiing. He still water skis to the day like 20 30 40 rides a year sometimes 50 and on wow. a big summer so like he is a hardcore water skier guy okay so yeah we had a nautique and he skied he, i mean i remember like I, I have memories of when i was a kid my dad was like barefooting with his friends he would organize uh summer parties with his work and like he would get everyone to do everything they'd go tubing and then they uh would have the the parasails yeah so he would launch people out the backyard parasailing all the time, go around the lake Those and then sink them. Yeah, like that was like, <laughs> he would put on a summer party for his company and he would take people at home, like, and we'd barbecue and like hang out and be on the water all day. So like by the end of the afternoon, it was like the one versus one tube contest who can stay on the tube longest. And it was a head to head. One boat, two tubes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that might have happened only once because, like, it probably didn't end well, but, like, <laughs> <laughs> that was always kind of, like, the bet. Like, who can stay on the tube longest when I mean, Julian drives? I mean, that's the drives. point of tubing, and for the most part, when you're a kid, like... Oh, yeah. And even young adult, so... Okay, so set the scene of wakeboarding Canada, these early... What is this? Mid-late 90s? Early 2000s? Yeah, late 90s, early 2000s. Okay, set the scene of what wakeboarding looks like in Canada. For I mean, guys. I didn't know what it was like in the rest of Canada. In my province... Um, there was some events I went. So like I said, I went as a, as a fan, my dad took me to Canadian nationals in 2000 year 2000. And, uh, there was a lot of people, you know, there, there were many participants. They were, I mean, wearing wake pants. <laughs> the level was quite impressive. I thought, obviously I had no idea really how everything was going. Um, but you know, like the, the scene in Quebec and in Canada, like, it was already a bigger scene than most people can even understand because of all the media. So like Quebec being the French province in Canada has a lot of its own media. Yeah. So there was like much music for Canada. We had Music Plus for Quebec. Then there was TSN for Canada. There was RDS, which is the sports station for Quebec. So all summer, every summer I can tune in to 
uh, RDS, the sports station, and they would have water skiing events and wakeboarding events every once in a while. Basically, Canadian Nationals would go on once a year. But then that grew. And then, like, wakeboarding became, you know, part of, like, alternative action sports. Mm -hmm. So, like, the, the Music Plus station had, like, an alternative sports, like, events show. And I could watch, like, my hometown heroes, like, my provincial, like, the best riders in, in Quebec were on TV wakeboarding, like, three, four times a summer. And so that two was, different that was stations. broadcast, like, everybody's homes? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And then there was obviously, like, the Canadian magazine. There was yeah. Water Ski magazine. Then there was Wakeboarding magazine. And then Alliance came in. So, like, all of that. But we already had, like, a, a platform for those sports in in our province. Yeah. In the rest of the country. Okay. So who are you riding with back then? I mean, in those early days besides just your family. So when I got my first wakeboard, I would wakeboard. Obviously, like, my dad would be pulling us. Um, so he first signed me up to go to a wakeboard camp. It was uh, en équilibre, is what it was called, which means like holding your balance. It was like a snow and skate shop um, owned by Alain Ayoub. Shout out Alain Ayoub. And you put on this camp. Um, and my second door neighbor, so like John Ferguson, still not famous, who's done all of Raf's videos. Uh, he was my second door neighbor. We're the same age. So we'd jump on the trampoline, we'd watch snowboarding videos, we'd skateboard together. We'd, think about wakeboarding together, all that stuff. So he finally was able to get convinced that he wanted to come to the camp with us. Went to the camp, then the second year went again, and then from there, like, I was just, that that's all I could think about. That's all I wanted to do. Okay, I was going to ask, at what point is it kind of, like, turning from doing it for fun here and there to, okay, this is, I'm, I'm taking it seriously now. I'm, I'm wakeboarding a lot. This is really what I want to do. Sounds like that point in your life was a couple years of camp, really, kind of stuck with you wakeboarding wise well of course like you know growing up with a very motivational go-getter father and like water skiing was his thing so like you know there were photos and memories and magazines and like the photo albums i would geek out on all that stuff right and my dad would bring me on the boat when he went skiing with his friends and all that so like i loved water skiing and then i grew up i always skateboarded Obviously, by then, I'd been snowboarding for a while. So, like, without even realizing that, like, I loved alternative action sports, like, that was the next step in, like, my progression because of all the water skiing background. Yeah. So then eventually when it clicked, like, I didn't even realize how much I already loved it before it became, like, a big part of my life. Yeah, yeah, It just okay. made sense. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're talking about skating, snowboarding, wakeboarding. I have a question on your stances do they change from board sport to board sport they sure do run us through that hold on who'd you get that from i mean i'm not gonna i can't reveal <laughs> any of my sources on any of of course i got a lot more coming so okay okay so let's start with i'll, I'll run you down the reasons why okay so i started so I, I never realized this until like later on as a older teenager or young adult i saw a video and photos of me like six years old skateboarding in rain boots Okay, and I was regular, but I would push Mongo. So Fred Gendron, shout out Fred Gendron, Captain Cable. Uh, he was one of my dad's employee. He was much younger and he was a skateboarder. And he would come over and hang out at the house every once in a while. So he took me skateboarding one day and he's like, no, 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 you can't push like this. You push like this. So then I became goofy at skateboarding. 
Okay. And then water skiing, drop a ski. I went left foot forward just like I would when I snowboarded. Then wakeboarding came around. I was also regular. But then I went wake skating for the first time, and I was confused because if I was going to try a flat water ollie, I would go goofy. And if I was going to go wake to wake, I wanted to go regular. And then wake surfing came around, and I wanted to surf goofy. I never surfed before in my life before wake surfing. I always dreamed, dreamed about it. And in my you know, kid's mind, I was going to be goofy, just like I would be on my skateboard. And then it took some years to realize like why and how I'm left foot forward and I'm tied on and right foot forward when I'm not attached. Fascinating. <laughs> that, that is so bizarre to me. So I don't know if this is true and we'll have to fact check this, but someone told me once that Parks Bonifay has a similar story. He was meant to be regular, but he's goofy. Something like that. I don't know. We'll have to fact check. It, might, it probably has something to do with, I mean, at least a little bit the water skiing because I'm always confused. I don't water ski much with one ski, but when I do, I always feel like I'm never confident in which foot I should put forward because I either want to have like stand like a wakeboard, like I would goofy. So left foot and back, Mm -hmm. but then I also want my dominant foot in the, I don't know. It's weird to me. So, well, so like the, the initial concepts of like when you get a beginner and like you teach them to either ski or snowboard or wakeboard or whatever, there's two two different things. One is like you get them to stand side by like their feet together and then look in the distance and then they're like, what are you doing? And then you just give them a shove from the back and then whatever foot yeah, they step yeah, yeah. forward with is their leading foot. The other one is like, which foot do you kick a soccer ball with? That should be your foot in the back. Yeah, your dominant foot, yeah. Okay. That's the typical way, but then it doesn't always work out that way. <laughs> I've always done the push test and I feel like sometimes it doesn't work the way it should, but... Interesting. So you're kind of all over the place. What do you, what, what are you now? So what is, what is your foiling stance? Actually, I guess that's the real question. Oh, okay. So I've only foiled no strap, strapless. No strap on. You're no strapless. strap on. Okay. Strapless, foiling, and I went goofy. Okay. Did you try it regular? Or just I've felt- gone e-foiling and then I've tried both. Okay. I could do both, but I'm more, I guess, excuse me, I, I would be better when I was goofy. Okay. Very interesting. Only gone foiling once, strapless? Uh, I've gone foiling maybe five times okay. in six years. Not a big fan? Um, it's growing on me. I just haven't really had the equipment to do it. For starters, I don't own a... Well, I don't... Now I do. Now I own a foil board. Um, but I haven't assembled it and taken it out yet. So I guess that doesn't count. <laughs> um, but the first few times, like... I mean, there's a lot to foiling, like just how to set it up properly. It's like if you take someone water ski settings, wakeboarding for the first time, like they're going to have a terrible time. Yeah. It's not going to work out. Well, it was kind of similar in that aspect. The first few times, like it was just starting to happen, like wake foiling. And I mean, from being set up in the first roller, big wave, like super pushy to like riding Brian Grubbs like super advanced full <laughs> yeah. mass like it Mega was like wing. four foot mass with like a two foot board like I couldn't lean forward enough to keep the damn thing in the water <laughs> it felt like a I couldn't even last the eight seconds of a rodeo rocker Steiner <laughs> shout out <laughs> <laughs> okay all right so I mean maybe we can get into foiling a little bit but uh all right let's dive back into growing up so you mentioned magazines videos and stuff who were some riders that you looked up to or thought were super you know, rad back, back in the day. So obviously like the top pros, 
and like every generation there was something cool and new about everything that what they were doing like the how the sport was growing also in the progression of all that but like starting at first like my first few wakeboard heroes were like the local guys in Quebec and then I got to realize what the scene was in Canada then some of my favorites were in Canada and that was more attainable that was more realistic like obviously I would see like Darren and Barley and and Murray on on TV and then Parks came around and Zane and like you know like the the Gator and like the the yeah the huge names the first few big names of the of the industry on TV but that was so far fetched to me you know like we have two and a half months of summer in Quebec like you know it's Winterland so like to think about that was so far away. That being said, like, obviously, that's who I idolize. Like, that's, you know, if you ask me who I could watch, I'd want to watch, like, the best of the best every single time. Sure, yeah. Do you have any, any videos or movies you had on repeat growing up? Uh, well, the first few ones were VHS tapes. You know, the tracking and gets all blurry and, like, staticky and whatnot. But, like, if I couldn't do it, I would ask my dad if he could tape all of the wakeboarding that was on TV at any given time. So it was on OLN Network, if I remember correctly, and they would run Pro Tours. Man, those were the days. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw Zane Chuang do an indie glide. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. He did one in his run, then he did a massive one on the double up, and he won the contest. I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> glides. Right glides are the future. Like, <laughs> grab your board when you get it stretched out. <laughs> glides are sick. I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so you probably did a little bit of contests early, you know, when you're starting to get into wakeboarding, but when did you start competing on a regular basis? Mm, on a regular basis, I would say probably 2002. Like my first few wakeboard contests, I went to Quebec Games. And there was like a, a junior water ski circuit. And the overall used to include four divisions. So it was obviously slalom skiing, jumping, trick skiing, and wakeboarding. So wakeboarding was part of like the Quebec Games and the whole water skiing events thing. And then a couple years later... Um, Actually, the first time I hit a rail was at a contest. It was a contest behind a uh, jet ski or a PWC, and it was two down and backs or something like that, and there was like a little double-sided shotgun, big PVC flat bar, and then just like some kicker. And then I could throw tantrums, so I just hucked tantrums on a kicker. So it was the first time I was hitting a kicker, and I could board slide. Because I skateboarded and wake. Uh, I was gonna say, did you go front Smith or Crook or you started. It was slide. probably a really good salad. <laughs> or if you've ever played Amp, the good bag lady. <laughs> okay, okay. So doing some contests and I mean, this is two thousand two. So how old are you at this point? Two thousand one. Two thousand two. Yeah, two thousand one was that first time I went to that real contest, and then like two thousand two, I was like, okay, I want to do contests. Okay, and at this point, I had Raf kind of followed in your footsteps and is he wakeboarding in Canada with you as well? Yep. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So like when I started branching off and only wakeboarding from like the three events, um, Raf was still doing three events, but he was wakeboarding with John and I more and more. So like he would wakeboard with his brother and his neighbor and then he'd water ski with dad. So obviously... I think it's pretty easy to see which one he was like, I want to do more of this. Yeah, I want to be like my older brother. <laughs> so yeah. then we started like traveling for competition. So like my, God bless my parents. They were so awesome. They were so supportive. Like there's a contest in Ontario. We're going six hour drive. We're going. 
Like I remember the first few times, like actually my first wake stock, I was 14 years old. Um, my dad let my cousin Simon and his girlfriend at the time take me to wake stock and we went camping. It's a seven hour drive. Like who knows? It's like the free world. Like it's crazy. I saw all of my heroes, all the contests and it was in Bala. So it's like this super small town. It was nuts. It was like, it was like a big festival. People were off their faces, but like I can tell what was happening on shore. I was eyes on the water. I probably stood on the shore the whole day just to watch every single person ride. It was epic. Okay. Uh, speaking of you and Raph and your competitive career, how many people think Raph is older than you? Oh, more than you think. I thought he was older than you, if I'm being honest. When, yeah, uh, yeah. Initially, like years ago. Is it, I mean, when people talk to you when you first meet them, are they, have they always been like, oh, so you're Raph's little brother? Well, I don't, I mean, yeah. People, I think, would say that I'm younger because, A, I'm shorter, and Raph is, like, more silent, so, like, he does come off more mature, and I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I could see that. Um, How much older are you than him? Six years. Six years. So yeah. quite a big difference. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a long time. Like, I always wanted a brother, and I had to wait six years for him to even be born. So imagine, like, how much longer before, like, he was actually something I could, like, communicate communicate with. and play <laughs> with. Okay, so you're competing. Um, does he... When, when does he start competing, I guess? Because you've been competing for a while. When does he kind of jump on board fully wakeboarding and, and joining you on the competition? He would always compete alongside... Um, you know, when it was wakeboarding divisions, like, obviously, like, I was in the junior man, he was in the boys division. And then, like, on the water ski circuit, he would wakeboard. Quebec Games, he would wakeboard. And then, like, his last year competing water skiing also, like, it was a big Quebec game year. And, like, he was expected to, like, I think he was, like, the flag carrier for our territory of the province for the Southwest. He was, like, the, the flag bearer. So, like, he was expected to win. Big pressure for Raf. And he said he fell apart, but because his level of riding was, I guess, ahead of the curve and the talent, like, and it was INT style, like, point for each trick, point amount for each tricks. So he, he still won, but he could have done much, much better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, when is the first time that the Deromes ventured down to Florida? Um, first time I ventured, excuse me down to florida uh we took my parents old van and it was mark poirier who is in the documentary as one of uh, raf's mentor phil joyal who uh was a big wakeboarder in quebec he also did laws for the sport um he created a winch tour that we had for a couple of summers it was epic um Mathieu couture He's a, he was a photographer. He's a photographer. He was a snowboarder, wakeboarded. And then it was John Ferguson and myself. There was five people in this van. And then we met Dan Mabry, who was an also a Quebecer that used to live at the projects. He was a rail slaughter machine. Shout out Dan Mabry. Um, so we came down to Florida for like spring break for 10 days, I think. So that was the first time. What? 2000... 2002. Okay. And where do you go in Florida? Do you go to the projects? Uh, well, there was a bunch of us. So we came down. We rode OWC a bunch of days. We went to the projects one day. And the 
he caught the rope after I rode, so I was the only one that got to ride. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> yeah, we rode the rail park. We rode boat. We rode one boat set, and then we rode park, and then I was the only one that got to ride. Bummer. What's uh, what's OWC like back then? Ooh, it was cool. I mean, it's similar to what it is now, except that obviously it was all man-made features. They weren't like unit features. They had a transfer box, transfer to flat on the left-hand side. Um, they had a dragon rail, like shotgun, a uh, flat up. They had a, they had a big knee breaker and they had a little knee breaker. Knee breaker junior. Yeah. And like, I missed that era, but there was a big red kicker that had like a big transition to it. And that was like the knee annihilator. <laughs> like everyone from like prior to 2003 probably if anyone busted their knee at the cable park that's what they hit okay i never got to hit it good thing because i actually blew, blew both my knees but <laughs> that could have been a much earlier problem <laughs> so is this your is that your first time around cable no so we have a cable park in in quebec um it's called the beach club it's actually it was called points wake park near the end um Actually, uh, it was a Rickson Park that they put in, I think I want to say, like, early 90s. Really? Yeah, it's been there for a long, long time. Full size? Full size. Wow. Super long. It, it kind of reminds me of the beginner cable at OWC. Okay. Like, long distance, like, you know, lengthwise. And then the cable's kind of low and the ropes are really long. So, not very good for air tricks. Um so we had like two rails and then the next year we had like a third rail but even when i was like a younger teenager for me to go like the first few times we went it was like how old are you you can't come if you're not 16 or something like that and i was like what like what and eventually they let us come and then it became a problem because raf wanted to come and he was of caliber to ride the park but they wouldn't let him because he was too young so then we always had to try and find a way around <laughs> to freaking let him ride and uh yeah it made a a young a young kid upset a few times. Yeah, age restriction. I mean, that's kind of yeah, interesting yeah. back then. I mean, the sport was so young. Like, it's, yeah. you know. So, yeah, that's the one cable park we had in Canada. But it was never run super well up until a little later on. And then they had a bunch of different features. And then, actually, uh, two of my friends managed it and ran it for a couple of years. So, that was probably at its prime. They had some really cool There setups. were some sick features yeah, way yeah. later on. Yann sure. Yannick Thibault, Alexandre Savoie. My boys. Those are the guys? Yeah, yeah. Hold it down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember they had a, I think I watched like a Nicola Duck edit where it was like a, a staircase feature with a down rail mm -hmm. and like a hubble ledge on the side. Yeah, yeah. That looked like a lot of fun. Yeah. It was those, that was those guys that were putting that stuff together. For sure. Sick. Okay, so I didn't know that cable was there that early. Yep. When did you guys get your own cable? We got our two tower 2000 and... Seven, six, seven. It was okay. I didn't know how late it was. 2006, 2007. I'm not great. I yeah, yeah. remember like the difference between 06 and 07 is quite difficult at this stage. So many things happen, you know. Okay, so now we're moving into 2006. In uh, 2006, you entered the PWT, the first stop, Ackworth, Georgia. Mm -hmm. I believe it was your only pro contest that year. Mm -hmm. From what I saw, you got tied for 80th. So, yeah. So what happened there? Oof. So, like, my whole life, I wanted to be a pro wakeboarder, right? So, I did well in my province. I did well in Canada. 
I end up moving to the projects to coach. You know, Pat Panakos. Shout out, Pat Panakos. Well, yeah, we'll get into the project. Tell, tells me we're, if we're going to hire one person, we're going to hire you. And then weeks go on, and I haven't heard back. And I'm like, fuck, I don't want to be that annoying pest. But, like, I keep emailing. I'm like, hey, what's going on? He's like, yeah, okay, you're in. So I move in, train all spring, then show up. I'm so nervous. And, like, I don't think people understand how many people tried to qualify on Pro Tour back then. So the top 16 were already pre-qualified. Then the Thursday, yes, the Pro Tour used to start on the Thursday because on Thursday there was about 100 guys that were trying to qualify for 32 spots. So it was 12 heats or 16 heats of like five, and it was top two. And you had one shot. And it was ridiculous. One pass? No, you had one, uh, obviously, like, boat style, one pass, like, one one shot down a yeah. bag. There's rails. There's a transfer box. The only way to hit the transfer box is in the contest. There was no other way. And then, you know, you're going, plus you got to deal with the conditions, and then, obviously, you're intimidated. You're riding against, like, pros that didn't make it, but they're obviously, like... Super good. Super good. Yeah. And, you know, there's a bunch of, like, up-and-coming names, and, like, I got put in a heat... I forget it, who was in my heat exactly. Um, I think Braden Strumberg, one of uh, Rusty's home home dudes, Braden Strumberg, who was a sick rider. Um, he didn't put his fins on properly. I forget exactly what happened. Maybe he broke on the rail, but he came back to the dock and his fin was like sideways and it kept grabbing him. And like considering his board was messed up like that, he rode super well. But like it was just like, Anything could happen. Like the conditions change. Like yeah. it's it's kind of open and awkward. So if it's a windy day, like it's not going your way. Anyway, I was so stressed, I crumbled, and I was so 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 upset. And then not long after that, I blew my knee. Okay, I didn't know. First year going that. pro, don't make it blow your knee. Okay, so I was talking to uh, Raf, and I, I don't know if it was this year or I, I guess when did you move to the projects? Because it was that early two thousand six. Right, that was the first, yep. before the first year of the Pro Tour. Yep. Okay, let's talk about that then before we move into more of the competitive stuff and, and blowing your knee out. So you moved to the project early spring after kind of pestering, Pat, sounds like, mm. for a little bit. Um, where'd you live at the projects? So when I first moved into the projects and I lived in the trailer, um, I believe it's still there. Last time I went, it was still there. So if you're standing on the dock to the left, there's like a little uh, trailer, basically two rooms, kitchen living room i was at the far end closer to the road and ryan doyle was my roommate yeah and uh did you guys keep that place pretty clean or no no i mean i had pretty good intentions at first um it just you know was not a priority and you know um ryan if you watch this <laughs> ryan still wakes gate still kills it. he's got a sick winch set up in his backyard okay yeah yeah you should check it out sick. you love it um well, yeah, Ryan cleaning was, they didn't go well together. Like, I remember one week I made an effort to do all the dishes and to put them back. And the next week, I was, I realized I was the only one that cared and was going to do the dishes because <laughs> they kept piling up. <laughs> I was going to ask what it's like rooming, rooming with, uh, with Ryan Doyle. Any, any I mean, it was good stuff. Like, he, he loved video games and obviously, like, in that generation, we all loved video games. Yeah, huge. So, like, at night, we'd, like, play video games and talk wakeboarding and watch movies and all that. But, obviously, he'd been there for a while, and he was a bit older. So, 
you know, we did hang out every once in a while, which was great. Um, but we, in a good way, also each had our own things going on. Okay. So it, it, it was a good, it was a good matchup. It worked out. Was there ever a black widow that was roaming around? Oh, yes. Yes. So Ryan is from Ontario. And if I remember correctly, his dad is kind of a, a national park guide or something like that. So like survival in the forest, like Doyle used to make his own like bow and arrows and like he, he can survive in nature. Okay. You know, I'm not worried about <laughs> Doyle surviving in nature. Anyhow, so he caught a black widow. We had a fish tank on the wall suspended with lights and he would feed it whatever crickets and whatnot he'd catch. And then eventually, actually, this is vivid memory. You just touch a string. He caught a jumping spider. Those little, the little black ones with like the green fangs and the white stripes. Yeah. So he nicknamed it Venom and he threw it in the same tank and he kept feeding. And then he would record the kills for each spider. And then eventually, Venom killed the Black Widow. Really? Yeah. Okay. But the scary part was one time he was clearing the, the, the spider tank because the Black Widow had laid a bag or eggs or whatnot. So he would have to, like, remove it. So he put it in a cup and then remove the bag and burn it. But when he turned around, he realized he didn't cover the glass. And the Widow was actually headed towards my bedroom and like he caught it put it back in everything was good but just the fact that he told me that like i didn't sleep i didn't sleep right for a week (laughs) (laughs) i'd make sure the top is very securely on the lid of that well i mean coming from quebec like very sheltered like there's nothing out there to kill you you know like you know water moccasins gators black widows like you know i'm i'm nervous i'm scared (laughs) so okay speaking of moving down south i mean how did you adapt to living in the united states after being in canada your whole life um, it, it was quite easy in a way that like I knew why I was there. I wanted to be there more than anything. Yeah. So like anything was going to do, anything was going to work. I was down for it. Um, where there, maybe this is where you're leading. I think so. Um, but where like it was different was it was my first time like living outside my home with my family. So like I would make my own food, grocery run, this and that. So obviously, like everything that I wanted to have, I would have. And there's no good Mexican restaurants in Quebec, early 2000s. So I would go to Taco Bell. (laughs) And then the next week, I'd go one more time. And the next week after that, I'd go to one more time. So there were weeks where I'd go like three times a week, four times a week to Taco Bell for one meal, but still. Uh, for a guy my frame, I put on some LBs. I was going to say, did you you kind of stack up some pounds there for yeah, a little bit? Yeah, I put on like, you know, 15 pounds or something, 10 pounds, 15 pounds, which is a lot for me. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, that's when I bust my knee. I mean, I was also like on the boat all day coaching. Yeah. And then I'd get the ride at the end of the day. and Tight. Okay, let's, let's eating, run through. Eating fast food <laughs> more often than not, having like a few extra cookies, you know. I mean, it's, the, it's freedom. You got some freedom now. You're not in the household. You're not yeah, getting yeah. fed. So, okay, let's run through blowing your knee out because this sounds like a good time to kind of roll right into that. Uh-huh. So what happened? Um, at the time, I was working on toe nines. So, uh, yeah, toe nine back day back then the wakes weren't the size that they are now so you needed to have everything dialed in and uh yeah it wasn't easy it was 
obviously like if you're doing a nine in your run on the pro tour in that era like you people know when they're scared and they don't want to mess up the run i obviously want to progress i've seen everyone do it and i was like i'm toe sevens are good i want to learn my toe nine couple tries into it busting my knee the typical land like kind of like on your hip and on your butt like you're under rotating and you're off axis so you're kind of like squatted i'm regular so i'm squatted on my left side coming down and then my right leg kind of gets slapped and that's when you get the internal rotation and what was it what was the uh, diagnosis acl acl just acl yeah yeah. okay well actually that was my second knee i we we breezed over the first i didn't know i was i was 16 the first knee actually okay yeah so anyways first uh, my right knee uh right then and there like i knew i hurt my knee but then I think I was who I was riding with Doyle actually. He pulled me and he was gonna ride after. So we go back to shore, covered in ice, get back in the boat, and I pull him for a set. And then waited a couple days to hopefully the swelling goes down because my knee felt somewhat stable. And you know I had a few people look at it. Obviously Canadian abroad, like you know I don't want to have to spend too much money to get it checked out and this and that. And then eventually um, got it checked out properly and. AC, ACL was done. Okay. ACL said bye-bye. You got both knees out of the way early, though. Yeah. You knocked them out mm. right away. Yeah, yeah, What was the first one? First one was a half cab roll on the kicker at at the cable park at home. Okay. It was in a contest. And uh, big half cab roll off the first flat kicker, and then on the way back, there was a little wedge kicker at the back. I still hit the kicker. I did a whirly bird, but by then, like, I wanted – like shoot me like i was in so much pain it was so terrible so that one was painful but me. i was in contest under pressure like you got to prove it like let's go you're going hard you got to put down a whirly bird i mean oh my god <laughs> yeah the whirly bird of course <laughs> okay so bust your knee you do you eventually go to the doctor obviously what's that look like you got to get surgery and then so my first knee when i was 16 17 17 yeah 17 um the doctor said so it looks like you're young and your body is stable enough i'm gonna prescribe you a knee brace and i hope i never get to see you again great got a knee brace flew out to canadian nationals finished the season cool two years later i come back i hurt my other knee so this one is like ah i mean it's stable enough you can finish the season but we should get surgery on that and what's the surgery because there's two different kinds of knee so i didn't get surgery on my left knee still so I still wear an e-brace when I wakeboard and when I play hockey and when I snowboard, that's it. And on my right hand, uh, on my right knee, they did patella tendon. Okay. And did that, what, what's your recovery time for that right knee? Six months. Okay. And, and where do you go or what do you do at, at this point? Do you stay down at the projects working there or do you go back to Canada? Um, so that happened, my second knee, uh, it was like spring. So then I finished the season. I finished the season at home, still went to Worlds, but I rode in men's one because I wasn't pro. I didn't make it pro. Um, actually, that's the that's the Worlds in Texas. That rough RAF won boys. And then we went back to the projects for the Amasalt. Yes. And after that, I got my knee surgery. Okay. So, right yeah. So it was in the fall. I got knee surgery at home. And then I started working at the board shop nearby called Surf 66. And uh, I would just do my physio all day, every day. Super focused. Like, that was like that was it and plan was to go back down to projects when you're all healed up yep okay 
And so you go to back down to the projects again. Um, is that what late winter, early spring, probably that year I went back in February, February. Okay. So winter, um, what, what was park riding like back then at the projects specifically? Man, the projects had the best rail park in the world. Like back then, if you were a rail rider, you rode rails behind the jet ski more than at the cable park. And that was a complete different form or discipline almost, you know, rail riding behind the boat or the jet skis closer to winching than cable riding, I would say. Yeah. Because the pole and it like you, you, you got to attack it. It doesn't come at you, if that makes sense. Like at the cable park, it's pulling you like the features are so big. They're coming at you. You have time to see them when you're behind the jet ski. Like you have to edge out. You have to attack them. You have to get onto them. Okay. What did your dad think of rails back then? At, at first, I guess. Mm, my dad wasn't a big fan of like the alternative to a certain degree. So like, I remember when I skateboarded, I love skateboarding. He's like, kickflip. You can't even do a kickflip. Like you'll land one in a hundred. Like show me someone who can do a kickflip every time. Then I'll like, I'll respect it. And I was like, okay, same things with rails. Eventually he was like, so what's what's the show about like i don't get it like it's a stunt in the middle of the run but like when you don't know the intricacies of what's actually being accomplished or done on the rails like if you don't know the lingo board slide back clip like this and that like if you haven't lifted then it's a little harder to i guess respect it so it kind of broke the the flow of the riding and obviously there's injuries and he also hated them because i broke my leg on a rail quite early on so he's like rails suck man <laughs> Stay off of him. <laughs> Fair enough. He, he eventually he, came around. I was going to say, he came around eventually. Though, yeah, right? yeah, he came around big time. Okay, so how long um, were you living and working at, at the projects for? Mm, four years? It was four years. Well, not not consistent, like not through consistently. Four seasons, though. Yeah, so I would do like spring. So I would do like February, March till May or June. Um, so I did that for four years. And then the last two years, I would also go in the fall. So like I'd come for like Surf Expo and I'd stay till October, November, maybe one year, December. Okay. And what, what's your average day like at, at the projects? Oh, it changes. There's, there's, a, there, <laughs> there's a lot of things that can happen in one day at the project. So if you have campers, you know, if you have a full week of campers, that's something different. If you have little, very little to no campers, something else so if we have campers obviously it's wake up at 7 seven thirty, kick down the door wake everyone up get the cereal out everyone toasts and whatnot everybody makes themselves breakfast fill up the boat with gas make sure the other coach is ready to go and then before 8 30 you're on the water and then like 12 30 you're back home for lunch so in that morning you have to get everyone two sets so you got to you got to get them. Yeah. You got to get Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and then lunch, and then afternoon is another set and a rail set. For the kids? Yeah. The first few years, we'd do three boats at one rail set, and then you could trade a boat set for a rail set. And then, like, in the afternoon with the second coach, you could kind of alternate if you got more people in the park, less on the boat. But then lunchtime, you'd also get drop-ins. So there was an era where we had three Koreans that would come for boat sets and or rail sets during lunchtime. So, like, get off the boat, smash a quick sandwich, and then get back on the boat or on the jet ski and then come back for the afternoon. And then at the end of all that, then I get to ride. Hectic. I was going to say, when do you get to ride? At night? At the end of the day. Either before the day starts or at the end of the day or lunch break if no one shows it. 
And then on weekends, Saturday, I would get more often than not woken up at the trailer door. Hey, Ollie, we want to go ride rails. And you know what? Some of my favorite moments and sometimes my least favorite moments was um, Daniel Powers, if you know who that is. Yeah. And his father, Jim Powers. Uh, they would come all the time and they'd take boat sets and they'd take rail sets and then Daniel could just ride forever. So I'd get woken up. Hey, Ollie, we're here. Let's go ride. Okay, cool. This one time, we <laughs> we came short of gas twice in the same session because <laughs> he just kept riding. It was amazing. I've seen that kid progress so much. It was amazing. I loved watching Daniel Powers ride back way back when. Um, okay, so let's talk. I mean, at any point here, are you getting any sponsors? Are you getting any attention from board companies, clothing companies, anything like that? Um, so at that stage, so like I got my first like sponsorship, right? So I would get like a board flowed from the Canadian distributor through the local Nautique dealer who was put it on supporting Jeff Goslin. Shout out Jeff Goslin for putting on a tour. So where we'd go do lessons and coach people in all the different corners of the province. And then, you know, there were a few events that were obviously part of his, I guess, tour. So like I was on his boat all summer. I was traveling with him all summer. Um, he would coach me and feed me and lodge me. Like I'm like 15, 16, 17 at that age, at that era. And he would coach me and that's it. I didn't get paid, but he would like sponsor me. Yeah. I'd work all summer, but he'd coach me all summer. So it was like a, it was a perfect exchange. So what, what boards were you getting? I was getting Hyperlite. I was riding the Belmont. Okay. That was my favorite. That was the first shape that I rode. I was like, I love this thing. It was the, the Sean Murray Belmont where you could have three fins. So you could have point eights on the outside and you could have like a one inch in the middle. So I would ride just the little fins on the outside. That was like, uh, you remember All or Nothing? Yeah. So like that era, that board shape that he was riding. You were digging that. Oh yeah, I love that thing. Okay. Any other brands or sponsors at, at this point in the projects, I guess? Um, by the time I got to the projects, I was on Hyperlight Canada. Um, I was riding Split, Split Clothing. So Guillaume Paré, shout out Guillaume Paré. He uh, was one of my mentors, like Quebec wakeboarder. He actually had a scholarship in water skiing in Louisiana. Then came back and he was like working and growing the sport and wakeboarding, doing lessons, this and that. So he got me hooked up with Split. He actually was SBC wakeboard editor at the time. Hmm. So he organized Wake Stock and ran the magazine for two years, which was epic. Um, so split hyperlight and then, you know, like Jeff would flow me, whatever gear was flowed his way from supporting his X tour or the, what was it called at the end? I forget. Anyhow. So I didn't really have like much support other than hyperlight and split. And then eventually I got on with, um, um, dragon through the same deal through the same distributor and then uh, uh by the time i got to the projects i think i was getting on excel so excel was probably my first paycheck okay excel wetsuits yeah, yeah. if you remember them like yep. there it's like a, a triangle ninja star looking logo yeah they had like the 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 vest you had the neck zip like a surf wetsuit but like you pull it through and then you zip here super thin it was nice so what, what's that paycheck looking like all the other all the other brands just I, just gear yeah, yeah just okay. gear. i think it was like 200 bucks. That's a lot of Taco Bell trips. Yeah. Decent amount of Taco Bell trips. I mean, back then, yeah. That's you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, 200 bucks. Canadian. 
So, like, I know for you guys, like, that's a lot less. That's like Bach and Jake. <laughs> that's a couple of loonies and a toonie, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. loonies and toonies, eh? <laughs> okay, so um, besides Doyle, who else are you riding with back then at, at the projects? Oh, Rob Jakes. Yeah? I was trying to ride with Rob Jakes as much as possible. He, like, you know, you posted this underdog thing. Like, I could have had an underdog list for days. Um, Rob Jakes was the man. Like, I don't think he ever got the recognition he deserved. But, uh, yeah, shout out to Rob Jakes. Um, he was a machine. He was so cool, best style, rode so well, could do it all, all the grabs, every trick, switch regular. He was a beast. There's so a, I rode with him a lot. Okay. There's a water skier named Regina Jakes. Are they related at all? No. Okay. So I actually lived with her sister, Renee Jakes. She worked at the project. A lot of Jakes going on. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So that. I would ride with, Pat would pull, pull me when he had time, which was not, as often as I wish it would have been, but like obviously now I understand all the responsibilities <laughs> that he had. Um, I would ride with Rob. I would ride with Renee. I would ride with Rob. And uh, Lidberg would come over and ride every once in a while. Henshaw would come over and ride every once in a while. Um, so like the best part of the, about, about the projects was the rail park. So all the pros would come and ride at the rail park. Yeah. So like I that were my... That was a lot of my first interactions with the top pros. And I was, like, such a wake nerd. Like, <laughs> I still am, but, like, I was so geeked out. Like, every time I was like, man, I can't believe Keith Lyman came and rode today. And you remembered my name? Yes. Made it. Oh, man, I, you're just making me uh, remember there was the um, the Toe Jam. Yep. One of the years. especially It was the year that um, BT took every every discipline so it was on the boat i drove the boat for the boat aspect of the contest and then i was too nervous to drive the jet ski for the rail park and then there was the winch part um but i remember very vividly it was like bt did a board slide big spin on the hubble edge i can't remember if it was switch or regular and Rathy did a backflip on the handrail in the middle and it was like people were voting and it was like one or the other and BT ended up taking it. And I was like, man, that is so crazy. And then Rathy, we all went out to get some food. And Rathy had an old car. I forget what car it was. And he's like, you want to jump in? I was like, yeah, man. Hell yeah. I met Rathy like once or twice before at Canadian Nationals before. Yeah. And like even him, like the first time I saw him was at a Canadian Nationals water ski in Winnipeg. Okay. And I was such a big fan already because I knew he was like the chosen one for water skiing. For water skiing? Yeah, yeah. Rathy was going to save water skiing, and then he turned wakeboarder. Rathy was going to save water skiing. Absolutely destroyed wakeboarding <laughs> for a long time. He sure did. Absolutely. Glad he made the switch over to the good side. Um, okay, let's let's kind of jump back. Before talking about Wake Lab, I want to talk about um, the PWT. Wake Lab. The PWT. So you had that first year T80. That was it. Next year, do you enter in on the PWT again? Yep. And that year, I actually qualified. Okay. Do you, is there anything that you attribute your success to that year? Um, Did you refrain from any activities for a long time? Oh, I think I know what you're trying to say. Uh, I mean, that was an ongoing thing. That was not just like that one year. That was like a mindset. You know, every little ounce of me was focused on like making it. There was nothing going to get in my way, even like self-satisfaction. <laughs> so that was... 
huge in making the PWT. Every single thing was taken into, I mean, into account. It could have been. It could have not been. Well, what it was know. was really good banter for all the boys <laughs> to haggle me every freaking time. Well, you, dude, if you're doing stuff like that, you don't make that public information. You don't make that public knowledge. Oh, shit, man. Like, you're living with your best friends. You're traveling with your best friends. Like, eventually, like, something gets out. <laughs> That's a good point. Everyone takes a 20-minute shower, but you, you take a three-minute shower. <laughs> like, what did you not do in there, buddy? <laughs> Okay, so PWT, you 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 just said you qualified. Um, r- run us through that that season, I guess. Yeah, so that year I qualified on tour. So um, I think you had two chances to make it at that one. So I think they tallied the score from the second stop, which was always Fort Worth on that private lake there, um, which was awesome. I forget exactly how that season went, but I do know that I finished seventeenth overall, and it was the top sixteen were protected to be pre-qualified for the next season and Derek Grassman got 16 and all season we're like chasing each other and we're on the bubble and he edged me out like we're in the same heat he barely edged me edged me out at the last stop it was Portland um yeah I was bummed I was bummed and now like I work with Grassman I talk to him almost every week (laughs) so it's cool um but yeah that was a that was such a big moment for me like making it like yeah. realizing that i made it like i accomplished my dream i'm like by definition you're pro when you get paid um but like i qualified on the pro wakeboard tour i am part of the elite like that was such a big accomplishment for me yeah absolutely i mean you're standing shoulder to shoulder with all the guys you're you're in the well mix. i don't know maybe like waist to shoulder depending <laughs> on who's next to me i, I wasn't gonna say it, man. <laughs> Well, shit, I mean, I, you don't think I've ever noticed that I'm shorter than most. Hey, I saved the extra small shirts for you, man. <laughs> Come All on, right. guys. Buy some short, some, some small shirts for your girlfriends. They need small. Or your kids, yeah. Little grommets. Uh, what, what's your contest run looking like? I mean, do you remember what, what is in your past then? So the cool thing about that era was, like, most guys were could do all the same tricks. It was mostly who was going to be able to put it together in the conditions, in the pressure, and obviously navigate the rail course. Um, but like all the mobs were in play. So like Chromo, Moby Dick, KGB, Pete Rose, T2B, Whirly. Um, some guys were doing like the Torola blind or the G spot. Some guys were doing back mobs. Like a few guys were doing like Whirly fives and Crow fives. And then obviously there was sevens, toe seven, heel seven, back seven. And then a few guys were doing like toe nines, Crow fives. Then, you know, there were, like, some few guys that could do, like, Moby Dick 5 or, like, obviously there were front mobs or front mo 5s. Like, there were a few tricks that, like, would stand out. And, like, when those would happen, like, the whole crowd, which there was a crowd, would go, oh, you know. So there was uh, – the field was much tighter. But at the end of the day, the best would always win. Yeah. From all of the different factors from, like <sighs> – dealing with the pressure reading the course like navigating the rails like the rails that it's not easy and i wish they would bring back rails on tour it was such a good show and as a rider like obviously like i love rails just as much as i love riding the boat but like it shows such a strength of adaptability to be able to show up and like look at the course and be like okay i'm switching up my run because i don't have enough time to fit these two tricks between the two rails yeah so i'm gonna knock these two tricks real quick so every stop every round you had to adjust something it wasn't like 
you do the four same four tricks at home and you show up and you have to do them now. And then like, it might be a section where there's some rollers coming back. It might be shallow here, but like all those things are still in play, except that you also have rails to navigate. But then if you like, don't tee up your board slide or your 270 in properly and you swivel, you break off your metal fin. So like you got only yourself to blame. If you take too much time to edge in and edge out or like you, you, like you had so much more to be in control of. And like, obviously it was sketchier. Like I've seen some really bad calls, like scarecrow land lean locked and you're just lean locked into the transfer box. Like Travis had to slow down on the boat and he would get freaking furious. I can only imagine, imagine someone's about to like ride themselves to death and like you're the one driving the boat and you didn't slow them down. Like that's so much pressure. It's contest pass though. It was so gnarly. It was so sick. So bring back rails. Oh here. yeah, bring back rails. I mean, I understand the whole reason why, like all of that, like I was part of those talks and conversations and group meetings and all that. What's the reason why? Well, I mean, there's multiple reasons. There's the reason that they were starting to have like some cable events that were supported by boat brands. That was one. Uh, another one was like, yeah, that's deep. that's not less, a good reason. But. Less dollar support. Then there's also, well, there's less dollar support, like all the overhead of traveling two, three trailers of features on the road. And then like, obviously there are billboards, but then if there's no brands to want to have their posters on the billboards, like the big rails around and like all the overhead, like there's a lot of reasons why. And then some of the top riders were like, we don't want them. Like we're boat riders, you know? Okay. Like I vividly was like all for rails, obviously like, I was, I think, better than the average guy on the rails in that era. Yeah. Well, the guys that were like, well, I mean, we're go we're gonna do what, like a board slide in a fifty fifty across Yeah, that's what Rusty, like, Rusty was like. I don't yeah, know yeah. Well, rails. of course. Like, and I'm like, well, that's your choice. Like, I was riding molded fins. I was doing nose press and combos and trying to do different things. And like, that was my favorite part. Like, I maybe wouldn't like outbeat the guy on the wake. I could maybe match him, but then I'm. I would outride him on the rails. That was my strategy. Yeah. And like, I think that shows a lot more diversity in your riding. Like, I think I realized that I was never going to be the best at everything, but I think I could be better than average at everything. And that was kind of my goal. And like having the rails part of the whole thing, which I grew up watching the rails. I was like, they're never going away. This is it. Like, I'm going all in. I'm doing everything and I'm never going to be number one at all of them. But I will damn compete at every single one of them yeah. if I can. Okay, so the boys boys are not about it anymore. I mean, well, yeah. I guess I don't like know. There, when were, you were there, there were more cable events. So it was like, well, listen, like if you want to ride cable, if you want to ride rails, like go ride cable. If you want to ride boat, like ride the boat. Like having both doesn't work. Yeah. And then like they changed like the transfer box and then they changed it again. It was a unit one that was like way too small for the speed of the boat and like you're edging into it. And then like by that time, like it made sense to remove them because like it wasn't doing any justice to rail riding yeah. having those features in the run okay interesting i think i think a rail would be like you said though they have to be very very big because you're going fast and i mean you're from far away i think the rails have to be huge i think it would be awesome to bring at least one rail back though i mean there was a time where they had the transfer box they had a big a-frame that you could gap and make tranny they had a flat bar so you'd have three rails in both passes so you could do four boat tricks and three rails in each pass or you could do like one less rail and one more boat or wake hit. And then that was right around the time when, I forget who you were talking about this with, uh, Tony, um, like the 
it went from like the the one format to like to it was like well it was like airs you had to do one air and like the goal was to do a big backside 180 to the flats or something yeah. like your flat your 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 air trick had to be sent or it was super technical spins tech so like your mobs and your inverts and then your spins and then rails and then overall so like rails was like a the third biggest category right so like tech was biggest and i remember like sitting at the round table and like everyone was like well is it tech that is worth more is it rails and obviously like phil's like tech and then like danny's like spins and then the next guy's like whatever i'm best at is i want that like that's gonna help me and like that's 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 normal like we're all out there trying to make a living and like to be the best that we can be and like if the system can like slightly be in our favor like the better it is right like but at the end of the day the best is going to win doesn't matter what the format is the best will adapt and that was my favorite part of like the whole competitive thing and like going from boat to cable to cable to boat and like you're the 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 events where like the rail events especially where you show up and everybody gets the same amount of practice who adapts the quickest that was my favorite okay i thought that showcased like who really is the best like we all have the same amount of tries we all have the same amount of practice like it's 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 fair game it's even for everybody yeah definitely i mean yeah everything's the same for everybody which is you know a cool thing about contests um speaking of contest usa Versus Canada versus Australia. Mm. You could, if you could make the best team, what country would win? Ooh, I mean, right now. So oh, yeah, I, I mean, ho- hold yeah. on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What are the parameters? Okay, so like, is it all time? Like, can we take all the Canadians, all the Americans, all the Aussies in the history of the sport? Is it just boat? Is it cable? Is it like you get one boat guy, one cable guy, one like? There's so many different. I, ways. I say choose your own adventure. I was thinking that it would be just anybody. Dead or alive, riding or not riding, you take them at their best. How many riders do you get? I mean, ten, if ten, you take three riders or if you take ten riders, dictates a big change. Three. Three. Okay, if we take three, that's going to be a heck of a competition. So, like, Raf, Rusty, Rathy, you could change and put, like, a Dairy in there. You can put a Me in there. You can put a Liam Brearley in there. You can, like... There's so many good riders that have come out of every single country. Take Aussie, like what's the format? Like you want like Chriso and Mitch and like That's true. You yeah, know, like who do you want? Five like style? who do you, who do you want? Like do you want like Harley and Corey and Rappa? Like you know, America, like you want you want like what do you want? All right, let's I'll, I'll rephrase <laughs> the question cuz I think there's a lot of different avenues you go with that question, but like who, who, you, what you want country? the Stuckies and Gunther? Like, is yeah, it cable? Is it I like, is it boat? Is it overall? Is it winch spots? Like, what are we talking here? I think America would win. But what country has produced the most talent, you think? No disciplines, just pure wakeboard talent. It could be park, winch, boat, air tricks. I mean, I think obviously Tindy. America. If we're looking at volume, America. If we're looking at proportional. I would, per capita, I would per say. Per capita, maybe Australia. You think? Man. They, they all have very, all three have very and strong And there's a lot of cases. really strong talent that have not been able to make it over the pond and come onto the American scene. Like, that was one part that was really hard as a Canadian or as a French Canadian. I had to break through my province and my provincial scene to make it on our national scene, to then have to break in again here and I'm as yeah. an amateur and then pro and then, like, to build up. So, like, you come from a different country. You move to America, so like 
nobody knows you. You have to like, you you really have to stand out for a brand to be like, oh, we're gonna support someone that we haven't been exposed to their family and their upbringing, and they have no relationship with a local boat dealer or board shop for the last five years. Like it's it's a different experience. Yeah. So it there's a lot of talent from all over the world, and that was my favorite part from traveling to Europe and Asia and Australia was to see all the best riders that nobody knew about. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those underdogs. There's so many of them. So many. And it's so awesome when, like, you spot them, and then, like, three years later, they start coming through, and you're like, oh, yeah, here it goes. I remember you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's a good time to talk about most underrated riders. I mean, you had you, you mentioned a couple. You had any on the tip of your tongue? Oh, there's more. I mean, I actually thought about it this week because I knew it was coming. Like, one of – so there's a – hold on. Let me rectify. So underrated or underappreciated? Or under-supported. Because that is like, there's a big difference. Let's go under-supported. I think that's a really I mean, the one. biggest one to me is Derry. Derry's Nibble. Shout out Derry's Nibble. He's a fucking machine. Like, I don't know very many people who can keep up with him. All With everything that he can do. Yeah. And has been able to maintain and like keep improving over the years. Like, he's been around for a long time. I've known Derry since he's like 12. And he's been a sick shredder. And he's been getting better. It seems. Can you I mean, imagine? Can you imagine? Like he still is getting better. Watch his part in the most recent outhouse for those who haven't. It's the opening part, and I haven't watched Coalition Ten yet. Is he? I'm sure he's got yeah, some banger in there. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. But I would say that. I mean, obviously, all the coalitions, but uh, the party has in the outhouse. Have you seen that? His opening yeah, part yeah. in the most recent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love. I love the one where he's right, like landing in the bleachers. Yeah, <laughs> I love his opening that's, scene that's where he. He does like wake to wake trick and then hits a dock and then cuts back. It's another wake to wake trick. Well, that's what boat riding contests with rails used to encapsulate. Yeah. Was that flow of like, just like snowboard slope style. What is the ultimate, you know, board rider, snowboard all terrain? It's slope style. Yeah. It's the same. It should be the the same. It should be the same on the water. I like it. So dairy, dairy's a big one. I agree. Oh, with that. dairy's Underspoiled. underappreciated. Like she probably takes the cake. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Underrated. I mean, there's so many from different generations. Like, I think the post I made on 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 the Grand Matters page was a lot of like older guys, people more like my generation. Um, there's a lot fresh blood out there that's also not getting what they could be or should be. But I mean, what is it? Is it a paycheck? Is it recognition from like being in the magazines that are non-existent? Is it like getting reposted by like a bigger Instagram platform or like what is the recognition nowadays? And that's a different question that I can throw. It's a away. whole another can of hey. worms. Yeah, maybe throw that my way in a little bit. Um, <laughs> I got a, a Patreon question from Garrett Cortez. Mm. So yeah, those of you guys want to join the Patreon, you can. Uh, there's two tiers on there. The the gold tier allows you to see who the guests are early and uh, you can ask him a question and I'll go ahead and ask it. On I'm the, a Patreon. Uh, you guys should do it. He is. Yeah. Hey, going. even with the Canadian exchange, I did it. Yeah, that's <laughs> very true. I see those uh, Canadian loonies and toonies come in and I always get a little smile. Uh, Garrett's wondering, could you pound, could you right now go and pound nine White Castle burgers and then spin a 900? Oh, um, I like to think that I could. But the it's truth is, I, but the but the truth is, like I'm I'm not down to try. I don't think I can do it. Like just the first of all, I think they were Crystal mini burgers. I think it was Crystal's burgers. Crystal have you have you been there? Have you Crystal seen with a K. yeah Crystal yeah. with a K? 
So they're the ones that make the mini burgers. Well, White Castle makes mini burgers too. Really? Yeah. I was always scared of the White Castle. Why? Until I saw that one movie with Harold and Kumar, and then yeah. I thought like it was funny. But like you know, coming from Canada, coming here in Orlando and seeing all these new fast food joints that look kind of slimy and sketchy, I was not about it. <laughs> <laughs> Except for Taco Bell. I mean, yeah, Taco Bell is yeah, it's it wasn't better, but like could, okay, could you smash the nine burgers though? Yeah, I think I could do it. And I, then you, I, might, I might puke, except for that time I didn't puke. And I did my nine off the wake. They all tried on the double up, feeling rusty. Ha! Beat you guys one of the rare times. <laughs> I didn't know they were going off dub and you were going off the uh, just straight wake to wake. We had the choice. And you took the wake to wake? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, I, I, if I wanted to make sure I had it, I had to do it off the wake. On the dub, like it was hit or miss. After nine burgers, like I didn't need the extra boot. <laughs> Okay, I'll uh, I'll allow you to bump it down to a toe five if you make up for it in different burgers. Could you do it then? So yeah, I can do a toe four, five. Yeah, for sure. Fourteen burgers, toe five. Oh yeah, no, no chance. <laughs> I don't know dude, if the math's right. On dude, that, look at me. <laughs> I don't know, man. Mind over matter with with stuff like that. You maybe get it done. Um, would you consider yourself more of a naturally talented wakeboarder or a hardworking, work hard to get the tricks wakeboarder? I think a natural talented wakeboarder doesn't exist. I think everyone has to put effort, whether it came from like the hours you put on the board behind the boat or on the cable, or is it because you water skied? Is it because you were into gymnastics? Is it because you were a six skateboarder and you translated your riding onto the water hitting rails? Like anyone who's gone anywhere has put the time to get there. The recognition that you get earlier or later is not up to you necessarily, but like to get to a certain level, you have to put the time in. So you don't believe in talent? I mean, yes, but like it is a much smaller proportion. It's of not as the big as people make it out to be. That's yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Because like, you know, I've heard over and over again, like, Raph's so talented, Raph's so talented. Yeah, dude. He would, we would jump on the trampoline for hours, for years. And then we'd like, every time we could, we'd ride like, a lot of time goes into it and like it's unaccounted for and no one really knows how much people have put work in the different aspects and like obviously it comes with opportunity but like some people can just like turn it on and understand it better sooner maybe like sure i under i believe in like natural talents but you can't get there with just that and that's not enough okay i mean if we're talking pro level like i, I don't know how to like interpret the end question but like Natural talent only takes you so far. All right, I agree. I agree with that. It's interesting. So, would you say that you were more of a? Did you did you ever feel like on a wakeboard, things came easy to you? I guess maybe that's a better better way. To um, at a younger age, yeah. As a teenager, I think like it felt very natural. You know, I was obsessed with snowboarding and skateboarding, and I was on the trampoline. I grew up water skiing a lot and watching videos like i my brain had already absorbed like everything yeah and then i just needed to keep doing it to figure it out and i loved it so it was so easy you know i didn't want to go play video games i want to go jump on the trampoline after watching i remember this this is a memory trevor hansen did a crow five on the pro tour on his rookie tour on the pro tour and i went on the trampoline and tried to learn it and it took me a couple crashes i think i bled <laughs> from my nose, I got a nosebleed <laughs> from like blending and scrubbing my face, but I eventually learned it. But like, you know, that that was what I was. That was my generation. Like, there was no 
figuring anything out other than trying it like you could see it on the TV or in the magazine. Like, that was it. Yeah, no YouTube video to go and no. walk you through step by step. Like, hundreds and hundreds of videos and clips on social media and this and that. Like, that didn't exist. Yeah. You have to seek out what you wanted. Crow 5 or Toe 9? What do you prefer? And mm, is there a difference? Like, if I had, like, what's easiest or what I prefer doing? Yeah, what's easiest? Because mm. Murray still does Crow 5s. Like, it's nothing. I mean, they are similar in timing and approach. And rotation. To me, a toe nine was easier. Really? As in like, yeah, I just think toe nine to me, I would prefer doing a toe nine than a crow five. Okay. I had a, it, I learned toe nine before, but it took me more time to learn crow five than toe nine. No, that's not true. It took me more time for the toe nine. But once you got it. But once I got it, the toe nine was on. Then like crow five, like I went through a roller coaster and then like the wakes were small, grab, no grab, learn how to grab it again. And this, <laughs> then your timing's off. And then like you fall in a contest and like your mind is just like <laughs> gone All down the drain. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, let's bring it back to kind of not the early days, but we're, we're getting into the kind of the height of your career with, with Wake Lab. So mm. I don't 2008. remember. 2008 was the first Wake Lab, right? Yeah. What's it like to be in that competition? Cause that's right in Orlando, big names. That's a huge deal, right? That first Wake Lab. What's it like to kind of compete with all those guys? Obviously you'd been on the pro tour, but kind of seemed like it was maybe a little bit more detached back then. Okay. I will walk you through my, memory of what that was like so i was working on the projects this is my third year at the projects i believe i'm working there this is fall so we're all there for surf expo my buddy yan Thibault, um sick rail rider under uh, underappreciated under another one another one yan Thibault. crazy um so pat and the team is working relentlessly on building these steel cubes that they are going to assemble and stack and they the bottom one is foam injected so that it floats so like the massive quarter pipe like i think it was like four big steel frames that were stacked on top of each other so there's a production going so they'd wake us up at night so we could help them load the cubes on so like i was a small part of creating the park itself because I lived at the projects and Pat was running that with the team and like obviously he was running the show for Sessi Tech and like that was just coming in um, so that was one part of it and then I remember Pat telling me he fell asleep assembling some of the stuff because he'd been working like 24 hours a day three days in a row and it's like the night before the event and like he's underwater scuba putting stuff in underwater and he fell asleep and he woke up underwater anyhow um so they're late in setting it up. So practice is cut short. They have a riders meeting beforehand and Dishman, shout out Sean Dishman, goes, hey, so what do you guys wanna do? Do you guys wanna split pot? And you all get the same amount of practice. It's like, forget what it was. But if I remember right, it was like, everybody gets $1,000 and the winner gets five grand. And everyone's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm one, like I'm, I've always been about the gang. Like you guys wanna split, like we all get some great and the winner gets more like at the end of the day like the dollars the dollars are nice but it's the recognition it's the you won that title you know anyhow we go do practice um and 
it was awesome. Like when I was saying earlier, like you ride the setup for the first time, you have to adapt and then you watch the other guys figure out their lines and like this guy makes it, this guy didn't cut hard enough. He came off early, this and that. So like all of those little things and it's Surf Expo weekend, downtown Orlando, Lake Eola. There's a big crowd. It was epic. Pat Moore was one of the judges, which I thought was. Because you had that, a, a that, snowboarder, that, skater, that and a wakeboarder, right? Yeah, that fired me up. That's awesome. That Pat fired Moore. me up. That there was a snowboarder there that I like, that would get what I was trying to do. Yeah. That fired me up. A little bit of confidence almost going into the contest. Like, okay, there's a guy on, on the judging panel that's going to understand. Maybe a little bit more than some of these wakeboard guys. I mean, yes, no, maybe. But at the end of the day, like, it I was think, just yeah. nice to have a different, like, a different perspective in yeah. a sport like two sports that we idolize that we look up to as wakeboarders like those are the ultimate right like surfing skating snowboarding right and then the fact that it was surf expo so i had some friends some people from the industry that were from where i'm from and then we actually had two other riders from quebec and unfortunately raf didn't get to ride in that one but yen tibo and Zigadbu. shout out to Zigadbu. If anybody knows who that is, he was a sick rider too. Um, but yeah, that event was sick. I was so proud of myself by putting together what I did, and then at the end of the day, like you have no idea how and what it's gonna how it's gonna turn out. So what was what was the setup like? Okay, if I remember right, the first cable on the right hand side you left, you had like a bank to bank, like this, or you could on the way back just go like wedge to down rail and on the right you had like the big quarter pipe on the other side you i forget exactly what it was you had a pool oh it was the pool with the down rail there was a flat down bar and there was a round bar on the right and then there was like the fox gap if you remember that from the project yeah I'll, it was I'll just like an up and down um so it was like a box the box with like a gap yeah. A negative gap in the middle. I forget if there was another feature on the left-hand cable. Um, but, I mean, the coolest part is, like, everyone's trying different stuff that no one has really gone to try before, like, other than, like, the typical tricks of, like, this feature and that feature, the different lines, what line is worth more, like, who's doing what. Like, you could tell that Parks was going to pick the craziest line and commit. And he did. Like, I forget he made this crazy gap, snapped his board. It was epic. How'd you do? I did good. I did what I wanted to do, and somehow I ended up with a win. Is Was that your first big win? Yeah. Okay. My first pro win. And you got five Gs, or six Gs? Five Gs? Five Gs. Okay. Yeah. Everybody else got a G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was. So it wasn't a typical one, two, three podium. It was best overall, best line, and best trick, and they had different names for each. So like it was JD and Rathy and I. And I forget exactly who did what. I think JD got best trick and Rathy got best line. Yeah, and I think I you're correct on that. I'll put the video overall. in of that. But I think yeah, because JD on the bank to bank, he went back because he's goofy. So you went back lip up, front three to switch back lip on the other bank. And I mean, this is 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 funny because you're interviewing me, but it could have been on on a certain instagram post <laughs> that being said like this is a long time ago 
And this is also in context. We're in the exploratory phases of rail riding still for wakeboarding. There's, I uh, mean, I think we might still be. You know, there's a lot that might still come. Who knows? I think. Oh, I agree. I, I just mean in terms of like proper teed up. Oh stuff yeah. yeah. Still- I mean, I wouldn't want to rewatch my run. I'm sure half of my stuff was also uh, scissored up. <laughs> scissored up. So okay, so you you get a dub. This is obviously a big a big stepping stone in your career. Big point. How is Raf doing competitive wise up until now? Mm, um. I think he's struggling. I think he's struggling because he's got everything that he needs to deliver the goods. But when it comes in the event and the pressure in the moment, he more often than not has a shortcoming, whether it's like a missed trick or missed grab or like, you know, he does well in one round, the next round he falls apart, whatever it was. I think there was a lot of pressure. I think there was also like mind games to a certain degree, like the banter on the dock you know the the who you're competing against and that's still like in not video contest but like in real life in person contest like when you're on the dock and like you're in a heat or you're not with your homies because you might be new like it's very easy to be intimidated yeah and then like you don't want to talk to anyone you get nervous and someone comes up to you and they ask you something and then you're like oh, oh, oh what and then like you're also like 14 years old like it's it, it wasn't easy. And if you haven't done well, you have no reason to, I mean, I don't want to say no reason to believe that you can do well, but it's like, well, I haven't done well. Do I belong here? Am I like, well, hold on. So he won junior, he won boys worlds at worlds in the boys division. And like at that time, like that was a stacked final. There was like Jacob Valdez and Harley and Daniel powers. And like, Sovin had to be in there, right? Yeah. Bob, like they were all there and like, it was a hard, it was a difficult field. And then like coming into juniors, like it, it, wasn't any easier and then like you get more testosterone and like people are talking more and like by that stage like it's almost like the industry or the sponsors had selected a few guys already so like this guy is pro for this brand and this guy's getting paid and this guy's like in the catalog for that brand and like all those little things were like an edge that they had on you because in theory they were like closer to the finish line of making it than you were so you always feel like always playing catch up yeah you always feel like you're playing catch up and you have to prove more and like it's funny because Raf and I both had this like thing that we tell each other, kind of like Rocky Balboa. Like you can't you can't beat the champ by the bell. You actually have to beat them. You can't just like tie them and barely edge them out. You have to beat them to make your spot. Speaking of motivational quotes, did you ever have growing <laughs> up any motivational oh, quotes on the funny. wall? You remember any of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I lived at the projects, when I shared a room with Yan Tebow, um, I bought this big stack of blank posters and I wrote a couple quotes that I put They were up blank. On the well, they were blank posters and yeah. I wrote my own quotes on them to motivate well, me and keep they? me motivated. Mm. Big time players make big time plays. Pressure uh, makes diamonds. Sort of like that, maybe even more like Withhold cringy. self-pleasure to see success. Um, no, I'm trying to remember. I mean, were they quotes you made up or were they? I mean, they're quotes that I heard, whether they were good or not, who knows, but they kept me motivated. And I think one was like, no borders, no boundaries. One was like, a man without a name is like a fire without a flame. Like, (laughs) I mean, like, you know, any source of motivation I could get. You know, I was so, I wanted it so bad. Hey, it ended up working. So bad. 
I need to put some motivational quotes up on these walls here. Um, in reality, though, is it tough to see Raph kind of struggling in his early stages of his career? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we went on tour, like, I was 19, he was 13, 14, and we traveled just the two of us. Like, we don't know that many people on the scene. You know, we're we're not getting rental cars. We're just, like landing getting a taxi ride i have my printed maps to make sure the taxi's not like screw <laughs> taking your money yeah exactly and then like there's this one time where we missed our flight because it got delayed we spent a night at the airport we get on a flight but we can't make it on this one because it's full we get on the next one get to the event raf missed his ride like it was just the two of us we're doing our thing we're trying so hard and like you know we we're, we're trying to not only like make our spot as like individuals within the 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 group but like on the water making it through the heats making it worth our while and he had all that he needed like he could do it all but in those moments it was difficult yeah so yeah it wasn't easy and like sometimes i do well and he didn't and like i felt like he deserves to do better than me because against the field he's got much better odds to do well than me and then more often than not in that era like i would do better than he had, he would in proportion and like I was so proud of myself and he was super supportive but I felt so so bad inside that he wasn't able to get his own yeah at that stage I say uh, let's talk wake the line so this is mm, okay. 2009 right first wake the line that you're in that doesn't mm, matter the year but it's shortly thereafter yeah 2009 okay yeah so yeah, yeah. wake the line um, how's that work you get you get invited to that that one I got invited to because um, I had just won the Wake Lab the year before. Yep. Okay. So you go over there and you bring Raf with you, correct? So we were on a... Were we on a different trip? No, we came back for Wake the Line. I can't remember exactly the setup, but yes, we went there and then Raf got invited from Pat. It was a unique kind of situation with Raf, though, right? Yeah. In terms of how we got into the contest. Yeah, yeah. Basically, there was like a rider missing, like a last minute someone got injured, I think, or something like that. Something like that. And then we all went to Langenfeld for like the, the season kickoff party. And then that's where they were going to do the, the draw. But they also had like a, a local contest that day. And then like we all rode. It was like a practice day. And we're all in Europe for the first time, or at least for the most part, you know, most american or north american riders that are going there for the first time and then raf rode and absolutely killed it like there was a little contest and he i think he won or like i don't know if whatever but like i remember vividly remembering like damn like i knew i know raf is good but then like seeing him ride amongst the best of the best with a lot of the european riders that i don't get to see or that i don't know i was like okay like he's on and then the next day and a half we have open practice at wake the line so like that's my favorite part it's just like you get to see everyone and they make like four groups of i don't know six riders eight riders something like that and then you, each group has an hour to ride so then you're just linking ropes and then you go and you go and you go and then obviously like i'm sitting there and i'm watching everyone i want to see who's doing what what tricks they're doing what line they're doing like i love it this is the best part like who's adapting the best who's getting to and then obviously the later group 
gets to see more of the action and like less attempts to figure out what they're trying to yeah. do. But then like wake the line, there's this new thing with like two two tower parks. Like there's a quarter pipe. Nobody knows how to hit a quarter pipe. Snowboarders might, but you come in in flat base, like it's a complete different thing. Um, so that was fun. Um, yeah, that was such an experience. So like at, at that party, they make the eight riders that are invited pick out of a bag, and then you 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 pick out like someone else's name, and they they actually have the jersey. So I pick out a shirt that says the Rome on it. And I'm like, someone messed up. Like, how could I pick my own name? And as I do this, I see the R dot. And I'm like, fuck. God damn it. Like, we spent our money. We flew here together hoping that, like, you know, and then, like, we go neck to neck first round. Like, could there be any worse scenario? And then there's no no pressure for either of us. Like, nobody wants to send his brother home. A. B. Like, He's got pressure. He's coming as the no-namer, no-namer. Like, he already has a name in the industry, but on the rail riding side of things, in the European yeah. industry, nobody knows Rafter home, or a few do. Um, granted, he had just come off a win at Fees and a win at another event. Oh, that's how he got his invite. He went to Fees, and he won. And, like, we, we did a little trip in, in France a few weeks before, the month before, and he won every contest he entered. We did two or three contests. Okay. Kicked everyone's sure. ass. And that includes, like, a Lidberg in his prime and a Henshaw in his prime, and he was just an underdog that came in and kind of was like, wait, what? Anyhow, he got the invite. I pull him, and, uh, yeah, the rest is history. First, first round off the bat. I mean, what's it like? Obviously, it's kind of a bummer, I feel like, to pull your brother because the idea is at least we could maybe make it a couple of rounds. It was this a head-to-head bracket-style contest? Yeah, head-to-head. Yeah, hopefully, at least you could make it a couple of rounds and travel three, all this way. Well, yeah, like, you know, we, we had done practice, and we both were riding really strong. We were both, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not someone that likes to, to brag or anything, but I felt like we both had a chance to podium. Yeah. Like, we, obviously, as the as the contest progressed more and more lines and new tricks and crazier stuff were happening. But at the beginning we were both looking very strong. Yeah. And, um, Oh, that I just remembered I was doing a hand plan in the quarter pipe. Really? Yeah. I was doing a hand plan in a quarter pipe, which gave me like a little upper in that section because no, like we can Everyone really can do anything in there. Some exactly. Form of that. So like I was doing something different. <laughs> Nico was doing some different lines, and then there was this crazy transfer that uh, Fetzi was doing. Daniel Fetz from mm-hmm. uh, Austria. He was doing this crazy transfer that looked so deadly. It was so dangerous. <laughs> it was so I mean, sketch. the setup's hectic. That, the setup yeah, is yeah, very it's, fast. It's a quick. It's a quick setup. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome it, though. Yeah, it was super rad, and like to feel the. The, the way that they presented the event and the stage that they presented it on was awesome. So it's obviously like an Olympic-style pool. So you have like the 5-meter platform, 10-meter platform uh, pool for diving. Then you get into the second pool where they do like the, the actual swimming and the laps and stuff. And then there's like a swirl pool or kiddie pool at the back. So first pool, you know, you have like a transfer into the second pool. And then like the second gap, you had a little elevated pool. So you could like jump into it and do a rail out or someone was like doing a big transfer all the way across. And then on the way back, same thing, little rail up or little rail down, then kicker. 
And then that year they had barrels, so you could tap the barrels. So that was fun. And, like, the crowd's there, and they have a cable cam with the live camera on a big screen. It's it was legit. Very broad, legit. Uh, it's, like, live um, live stream. Like, my parents watched it live. Like, it was it – was they were ahead of the curve by – on so many different fronts. Yeah. It was super impressive. And the energy there, like, it was epic. So what's it like to lose to your brother that first round? Are you happy mm. for him or are you I bummed? Did. I mean, a lot of different emotions going on, I imagine. I was bummed for a very short amount of time. Okay. Like, I, I didn't allow myself to be bummed any longer because I was like, I'm backing him. Whatever he needs, I'm here. Like, let's go. You do you. You get you get to the top if you can. It Very was so awesome. Okay. It was so rad to like live that. Like obviously it sucked to lose, but it was You got over it very quickly. Well, it's like I was in I was in the passenger seat. Or like I was driving and he's in the passenger seat and he's getting it done. Like we were side by side doing it together. Yeah. You know, so like there was no lose if one of us won. Good point. That's how it felt. So Next year. Um, well, first off, how does Ref do that first year? He won. He ended up winning. Got the dub. Yeah, yeah. He, he was against Nico in finals. It was a final four, so it was Nico and Lindbergh and Henshaw, I think. Sounds right. Or Fetz was in finals because he made that crazy transfer every time when he needed to. I forget. Okay. But it, was, it, was, it was a heated battle. It ref was, won. Yeah, yeah. How's, I mean, what's your reaction to that? It's got to be oh, through I was, the roof. I, yeah, I was ecstatic. Probably just as much adrenaline as I would have had, like, taking it myself. Yeah. Successful European trip for Raf that first time. So stressful, though. Like, you have no control. Like, you can't, you're just there and you're watching and you're feeling the stress that he's feeling. But you can't do anything about it. And, like, you know, when you're in the act of competing yourself, like, time slows down. Well, when, like, your brother is there and, like, you've spent so much time with them, like, working on this, like, it slows down for you, too, because you know exactly what he's thinking. Yeah. You know exactly the process of like going through those motions. Absolutely. So the next year, following year, same event, wake the line, just as awesome. You guys somehow draw you each other's names. That was not the following year. It wasn't the fo- how how many years? No. So the it? following year, Raft didn't come. I went on my own. Okay. Um, and I got out, knocked out by Felix. Uh, oh, and Felix. That was first, was, yeah. Yes, yeah, so that was the first time I saw Felix, and I was like, "Who's this kid? Nico's best friend. He's riding a Brian board. Like most people are starting to ride like flex boards and stuff like that." And I'm like, "Who's this guy? I'm not riding a flex board, but still." Um, and then he was so good. He came in as an underdog. He always had like that different style to him, and I was like, "Who is this guy?" And yeah. then we're doing practice. We're in the same practice group, and we keep matching each other's tricks. He's goofy and I'm regular, so we're both doing switch and regular, and we're both doing, like, I guess more modern for that era, like tech combos and press and tricks. And I'm like, who is this guy? And then, of course, I pick him, and I get knocked out first round. And I was like, <laughs> damn it. So the following year, then we come back, and both Raf and F are there. Raf and, Raf and I are there. And okay, that's I Raf's that was comeback year here from his elbow injury. Gotcha, from winching, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so... Got knocked out by Felix, which mm. turned out to be an incredible rider in and of himself. Well, he made finals that year, too. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Like, that was his breakthrough. Absolutely. At least from, from what I remember, like, the first time that I saw Felix breakthrough was there. Like, I think when for I, the American market, I guess, like, Wake yeah. the Line was so big that it had a big influence and impact in the North American market. So, like, 
it was in all the magazines and there were videos on Alliance and all this stuff. So like that was the first time that I was like, Felix is Felix is arrived. He put his name. Yeah, he put his name down. Um, OK, so two years after then that initial one, you guys pull each other's names for the first round. Mm. But this one has an LCQ, right? Yep. OK, so same thing happens, though, right? Yeah, yeah. well, same same concept. And it's LCQ. And basically, like the way the LCQ works is you don't ride again. All the losers from the first bracket, they pit them up against each other and they compare their runs and the best run makes it through. I didn't know that. So I rode really well against Raf, but obviously not enough to still wasn't to enough. take him out. Um, but like knowing going into it that I was riding against my brother, who I knew was probably going to be the hardest one to beat that weekend. And then the format, like, I didn't go all out guns blazing trying to take him out. I just made sure I could get to the next round. But that year I waked the line, a couple guys were doing doubles, including myself. And on the last practice day, I wrecked my ankle on a double. So I... No, not that year. That's another year. There was two years? Damn. That's the fourth year. I did four wake the lines. So there's one, that's the other one that I heard, Michael. Okay. That one went RAF. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that one went RAF, yeah. So made it through the LCQ and was able to make myself make it through two rounds to finally get back into finals and then ride against them again. <laughs> How'd it go that second time? Much better. Didn't beat him. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys did end up podium, both podiuming, podiuming that event together. Yep. Which is the first time you guys had done that, right? In a pro event. Yeah, it was our first like international event or like pro event where we podium together. Yeah. So that was that was a big one. It's gotta be pretty badass to Yeah, yeah. Well I mean like I was saying, like a huge Wake fan, Wake Geek, right? So I got a six year old six years younger brother whom I shared a room with till I moved to the projects, right? So like you you know how many times we talked about wakeboarding going to sleep? So many times. So like on our checklist, one of them was like Okay, obviously make it pro, get a cover, like video part, this, that, like win a contest, but like make a podium together. Like that was That's a big there. one. That was on there. Okay. I think that was a good time to talk about a little bit more about RAF. Um, especially at this point, I've always wondered, did you ever feel any resentment towards him because he was so much younger when he started to get a lot better? So that was a big, you know, moment in his career. He had a bunch of moments in his career, but was there ever a, a point where you were both competing and he was maybe getting more of the attention, bigger sponsors, anything like that, where you started to feel a little bit, I don't know, backseat to, to him? Is, is that, I mean, did you ever feel um, like that? I mean, it. it's a, how could I say this? Like, I've seen that coming a long time before yeah. we made it to that situation. Like, I remember what, like, when we were younger at the end of the season was the time, like, to try a bunch of new tricks. Because if we got hurt, we had all winter to recover. So, like, I remember one off-season, like, in three weeks, I think, Raph learned, like, ten tricks. I learned, like, six. But, like, all of the tricks that we're going for, we're going for all of the same tricks. And he's six years younger than you. And he's six years younger yeah. than me. So, like, that year we learned, like, switch curl mode, switch toe seven, like, a bunch of, like, switch tricks and different stuff that we weren't doing already. And I think he, learned, he did like switch Tootsie and like we're, we're just like on this like let's explore, let's do everything that we can. Like this is now. And that's when I realized I was like, damn. 
I was going to say, when is the moment you realize Raph is going to be something special? Yeah. I mean, I I already knew, like, there's there's an old video. Excuse me, I'm burping these LaCroix (laughs) making me burp. Um, I mean, it's all in the documentary, but there's this one ride. He's like, I don't know, nine or 10 years old, and he puts a line together where he does like tension to blind, chrome ob, and heel five, and I'm just losing it. I'm like, who is this kid? Oh, shit, that's my younger brother. He's like 10 years old, 11 years old. Like, I didn't know very many other kids that were doing that at, at that age. Yeah, especially yeah. a kid that doesn't ride you around. And the ones that did were already like Bob Sovin, like names in the industry. Yeah. So like from that moment, I knew like if he continued on that path, he could be something. But when I really realized was right around there, like a little before that, like in the junior man when he could compete and he had all the tricks to win but couldn't put it together, but he never stopped. He kept getting better and he kept like trying. And then by that time, I was just like, when he turns it on, which he did, then it was going to be a complete different He's got all the physical aspects of in terms of putting tricks down. He just has to be able to put it down when it counts. And once he figures that out, it's going to be exactly kind of lights out for a little bit. I mean, yeah, but the best part was like when someone is like an underdog or not getting theirs for so long and then they start like the beginning was like everyone was like yeah raf is winning like everyone's super proud and like happy and stuff but then like after two years of it or like a full season of it then it started being like it's like i don't know if you watch f1 but it's like max verstappen right now like every event he wins yeah and there's like no questions so like it started kind of becoming like that. i mean it's always like that in any sport right you root for the underdog and then they start doing well and you're like okay well this team like they're winning too much yeah exactly so it was kind of like that like and then you know there's two of us and i like one of my favorite thing about this industry is i feel like i'm friends with almost everybody so i'd hang out with everyone and then people are like where's your brother why is he not drinking beer with us it's like 11 30 and i'm like like listen like he's doing his own thing like i'm drinking beer with you like whatever and then you know, like the next day, Raf didn't drink. Guess who showed up? Raf Jerome. Hey, he's doing his own thing, man. He's got it figured out. Uh, so, who is who is the greatest wakeboarder of all time? Ooh, I knew you'd ask that. Um, there's there's different. Obviously, like I like the the parameters because there's so many good answers. To me, it's my brother. That's all I wanted to hear. Yeah, of course. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't think anyone can replicate what he did. You know, it's not about just being able to do the same tricks as some other guy. It's like to have the vision, to be able to create that path. It's about influencing people that don't even like you or want to follow you. Eventually, they have no choice if they want to keep up because that's become the new dimension, you know, and... A lot of the greats have had those moments and for some like they get forgotten or it lasts a shorter amount of time i mean it's a short sport that being said like raf kind of likes to throw a smoke bomb and then disappear and then you know he's, he's not there to hear if people are talking about him or not right so like he did what he had to do and he's proud of what he did and then if people remember him great if not like it's, it's fine he did what he wanted to do. So speaking of throw a smoke bomb and kind of walk away, was there ever any points where Raph would not be around and people would be asking you what's going on with your brother? Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, there was a time where even his Liquid Force team manager, <laughs> Aaron Grace, called me, and I'm like, I mean, I'd see Grace at almost every event. Like, obviously, we'd say what's up and, like, have a beer and whatnot, yeah. but it's not like we hung out or texted or chatted or, like, really spent much time with any, like, one another because we're not, I'm not even working with any of the brands that he's working with. But he's calling me, he's like, where's your brother? And I'm like, wait, why are you calling me? You have his phone number. <laughs> like, it's not my job. And like, I don't want to be put in the middle. And like, because I know, like, I know Raph wants to keep everything tight and doesn't want me to tell anyone. Because if I tell one person, then he might tell three people, then might tell three more. And then everybody knows what he's been doing. But would he tell you? Everything? Oh, yeah. Oh, he yeah. Would. Oh, yeah. And you sometimes just... he'd be scared to tell me things because he knew that I'd like talk to everyone. So like he thought that I would like spill the beans, which I didn't. But he was so scared <laughs> that I did or that I would. So, yeah, anyways, Grace was like, what's your brother doing? Like, tell him to call me. And I was like, walked over because I'm hanging out with Raph right now. And I'm like, hey, Raph, uh, maybe you should text or call grace he's calling me <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like a little serious now it like, seems at least there's it's one thing if like you don't call him out of your own will but like if he's reaching out and you're not responding it's something else <laughs> do you know i mean i'll, I'll eventually if i do have Raph on i'll ask him all this stuff but was there any reasoning for his kind of stepping away and being quiet that he told you or that you kind he of just wanted on? to be left alone and do his own thing like he was so focused he didn't want any other i guess getting sidetracked on anything else yeah and it was not because like you know he he was just so gung-ho on his project and what he wanted to do and there was a lot of work involved so like you know building rails like you're in the trenches you're building rails it takes a long time then you gotta like try them out figure them out film it set it up Get whatever needs to be done tear it down build a new one because those videos he spent so much time building and tearing down and there's only so many weeks to our summer up in, in, in Quebec and there's other events and there's like team shoots and there's other trips that he's on so when he's home for three weeks like don't bother me I'm working on this shut up and let me cook I'm, I'm doing something here <laughs> basically yes <laughs> well it worked out pretty well I mean I'm sure some things were probably a little bit more stressful but in the end, when you're looking back on it, there was a lot of successful projects and, and stuff that, that happened because of that. Um, I want you to power rank these five water sports. Mm, what do you got for me? I got wakeboarding. Okay. Water skiing. Mm -hmm. Kayaking. Oh. Wake surfing. And then now this one's different. Wing foiling, but it's the wing foiling, foiling where you're holding the wing thing right in front of your face. Like the super close one. I see Gunther do it a lot. You know what I'm talking about? Mm, I the wings so? is like it the one that has like it, it has like a see-through plastic so you can kind of see through yeah some doing? of them do have that yeah okay okay i had to be i had to specify in that yeah, last yeah, one yeah yeah okay say them again so wakeboarding Wake, wakeboarding water skiing wake surfing kayaking. kayaking and the wing foiling but with the wing right in front of your face right well i mean obviously having it in your face makes it seem less attractive because i've obviously not gotten my <laughs> my uh my riding is not up to par to go foiling with the wing in my face so i will put that at the bottom for what it's worth i would i as mean well. i i would probably have no fun doing it like i'm sure that if i figure it out that would be more fun um then i would probably put um 
Fuck it. Wake surfing in fourth, kayaking in third, water skiing second, wakeboarding first. <laughs> that's the way I wrote it down here, so that's perfect. <laughs> I mean, I really like wake surfing, but like kayaking, it's peaceful. You're in nature. Or it can be gnarly. There's no boat. You just, well, I would kayak, chill. You would leisurely hometown. kayak. Right, right by the, a lot of the wind spots that you've seen in my brother's videos, there's a kayak club right there. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. So I would go kayaking there. Scope some spots on the yak. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But I mean, in the rapids and down waterfalls, like that sounds pretty awesome too. Yeah. Have to have to get acclimated to that for sure. But yeah, yeah. if you know how to do the, 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 the upside down flip Tur- thing technique. Yourself or whatever yeah, you yeah, call it. I, yeah. Duck dive. Maybe that's what I, I haven't call it. learned how to do that. I haven't spent much time on a kayak. Yeah. I don't have any interest in that either, but it's definitely less or it's more appealing than the, for me, the foiling thing with the thing in your face. I don't know. I, I mean, see that. honestly, it bugs me. honestly, like, Foiling in the ocean seems so rad. Like surfing like is cool, but you don't thing. have to paddle as much because you can pump yourself back into the turn and then you can like bowl turn into the wave. Like that seems freaking rad. Oh, I wish I was good enough to be able to do that stuff. That would be, I mean, it'd be awesome. Okay, let's talk about some some board sponsors. Um, we, oh, you, okay. you touched on a little bit earlier, kind of getting some flow from some people. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you sign with Ronix? Um, so... Okay, 07 fall, there's the Ronix Amasalt at the projects. We go there, Raf gets picked. He becomes the, the seventh man on Ronix. And then as that is happening, industry stuff, right? So the Canadian distributor for Ronix at the time, HO Sports, through Murray Fraser, um, he's good friends with Paul O'Brien. So he becomes the Ronix distributor for Canada as well. So... He offers me, hey, do you want to ride Ronix? Do you want to ride Hyperlight? I said, well, I want to ride Ronix. So then I get on Ronix, flow through the Canadian distributor. And then for another year or two. And then um, I'm starting to do well on the Pro Tour. And um, I'm trying to work up to getting a contract. So I signed with basically the Canadian distributor where he would pay me, I think it was like 400 bucks. 400 bucks a month and then half of the money was coming or 800 yeah i think it was 400 uh half of it was coming in boards from ronix to the canadian distributor so like paul bryan and ronix is usa is also supporting me so it's basically half and half gotcha but the money comes from the canadian distributor gotcha so that's how they worked out that support um so i did that for a couple years okay and that that was like your official i mean did you ever sign a contract with them or um i think i signed some sort of like paperwork with the canadian distributor it wasn't with ronix usa i I would say i guess um but i mean that was always the goal so i was working towards that i was working towards hopefully getting a contract from ronix because that's who i want to ride for and then raf had left ronix i was like well i'm one step closer right um but unfortunately, my turn never came. And I realized that when they had the the big pool set up at Radar. I don't know if you remember that. Like Ruck won Did that. Ruck get trick of the year on that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Like he back mobbed up. Yep. So they invite everyone on the team except for me. And I'm their only or I'm basically their North American rider that goes to do all the cable contests and the rail guy. I'm like the rail guy. And that year, I think I was like, second best on Ronix and on the pro tour. So I was like, you must be kidding me. 
So by then, I was like, any better offer that like I'm starting my heart, my head is starting to turn and looking every other way. I'm yeah. like, I don't feel like I'm being respected or like. There's just not a future here for me, obviously. Exactly. They're, they told me that by not. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think it was personal. Like I no. understand yeah. more now that I'm older and I get to understand a lot more of the other side of the industry. Sure. Summers are so short. Everything happens so fast. You have to organize like 10 riders, a filmer, a photographer, this and that. Like there's so much happening. It still doesn't excuse that, you know, if they wanted me to be a part of it, that they left me out. So like, it's a bummer. But at the end of the day, like I'm not disappointed with how things went yeah absolutely so what uh what comes next after so you're on Ronux a couple few years getting you know 400 bucks or whatever a month um kind of realized maybe my turn's not going to come up what what is the next you know thing on the horizon there for you board support, board so device. through the summer um wade wagley who was the brand manager at slingshot came over to wakestock canada and then he drove back to Montreal with us. Well, with us. Like, he had his own rental car. And then I actually jumped in the car with him because Raph was too shy to jump in the car with him to drive for seven hours. And obviously, like, loudmouth Ollie was going <laughs> to be like, yeah, sure. So I jumped in with him, and we chatted the whole way there. He spent, like, two days, and he had brought a bunch of boards. So Raph and Ben LeClaire and I tried a bunch of boards. Well, it was mostly Raph. And then, like, on the last day, Ben and I were like, can we try can we try some boards? Um, so, of course, he, he let us have a go. Because, oh, this is good gossip. So, when Slingshot was first launching and they were looking to build, like, the next generation team, they were looking at signing Raph and Steel Lafferty together. So, for the rest of that summer, Raph and Steel would talk because they're both on Liquid Forest. They're both, like, about to, like, start earning something decent but they're still in their juniors or late junior like about to break through or starting to break through and it was almost like well if we do it together we're down but like how much are you willing to go how much are you willing to go so i think it was at that era also where liquid force had basically had all the best groms so they had daniel powers they had mish langfield they had bob sovin and obviously steel and raf and massey and like they had them all you name it they had them i think Corey junison was also on liquid force if i remember correctly and then what ended up happening is that neither of them went interesting and then I had no idea wade hit me up and wade was like hey ollie are you interested um and i knew i could ride flex boards because a year and a half prior, when I'm still riding for Onyx, I was approached by um, company boards, Justin Stevens. I almost rode for company. Wow. I was so, so excited about all of that. I went to like a team meeting at Greg Nekrasen's. So originally, I think it was supposed to be Vandal that was supposed to be like the poster boy that fell through. So... It was Nekrasen and Tino and Eddie Valdez, Justin Fisher, um, Nicola Butler. So they had a stack team. Yeah. And then, like, I was so stoked on the concept and the idea. I'd grown up watching all the Justin Stevens videos and all that. That didn't come around. I don't know exactly what fell through. I think I need to call Paul Bryan and Justin Stevens to really understand what happened because <laughs> apparently they spoke to each other and then like it just, nothing changed. 
So I don't know what it was. Like I, I assumed that it was like, well, company's not going to pay you. You're getting a bit of money from Ronix, so maybe you should stay Ronix. Okay. Could have been that simple. Something like that. Anyhow, Slingshot came around, and uh, yeah, I was talking to Wade. Wade gave me a shot, and we signed a three-year deal with slight steps up. And like for the first time in wakeboarding, I didn't feel like I was getting haggled. Like, I didn't feel like they were trying to, like, play me and, Take like, advantage of you. yeah, like, promise me something. And, like, they gave me, like, a straight-up deal that I was, like, that's legit. Like, if that's what you're saying I'm worth, like, I am proud of what you're telling me. The only thing I think I negotiated on top was, like, hey, I want the travel budget in there so I don't have to wait for a paycheck. Put my travel, my travel budget in my, in my monthly retainer. Mm, gotcha. And then I'll figure out my own itinerary. Okay, so sign slingshot through your deal. You say it goes sign up. with slingshot. What's it look like? What's year one, year two, year three? Mm, I think it was third year. You get a pro model. Oh, that was in the contract. Yep. Okay. Third year you get a pro model. I think it was like probably fifteen, seventeen, nineteen hundred dollars a month or something like that. I think. Like it's up. it's hard to remember, but it's it's somewhere, somewhere around in there. there. And no, like kicker for the pro model in terms of sales and stuff. Just um, I think the typical is like five dollars a board. And that was in there something too. like that. It right. was in there. Um, but um, by the time my third year came in, um, Jeff McKee was the team manager. Jeff came in like the second year. Well, Jeff was already like on the team, but he came in as team manager yeah. like the second year I was there. Um, and I love that team. I love that gang. I love the energy like Jeff House, which I met a long, long time ago, actually my first year that I came to Florida um, for World 2002. I had met Kevin Henshaw and he was friends with Grassman and Jeff House and a couple of the guys, Phil Combs and all those guys and like, I broke my leg actually at OWC on the S rail. That's yeah. a different story. That do you have that in there? No, I don't. Oh, we'll have a good tension to go on after this. But anyhow, <laughs> those guys like Grassman and, and House really took me in and made me feel like I had some friends on the scene yeah. in the US. It was my first trip like competing abroad. Um, so to find him again on that team was awesome. And um, I really felt like I had something to prove and I for the first time had an opportunity to cover some grounds of like advancing my career with the company and had something to build towards. Yeah. Slingshot was like more of an underdog brand coming into newer. like a newer market. And like I had never been given my shot really, or at least I felt like it. So like it just matched. I was like, I'm on a mission. And the cool part was like Slingshot was more, a fle they were like a flex board company, right? And I was a rider that could do both. So I was basically their their boat rider doing good results in contests. And I would also travel to Europe and do cable stuff. Yeah. So my favorite part was the fact that I could do it all. Ride boat, ride cable, US, Europe, Asia, Australia. You name it. I got, to do, worldwide. I got to do all these trips on Slingshot. And like I felt at home and it felt like I was realizing like my childhood dream of like being a top pro, like I felt like I was living there. Yeah, finally thing. happening. Yeah. So what other sponsors do you have at this time? You signed with Slingshot, what was that, 2011 probably? 
with Slingshot. You have any other paying sponsors? 12, I think. 2012? First year. 12, okay. 13, 14. Yeah, something like that. Okay. You have any other sponsors that are paying you at this time, too? Uh, yeah, I had gotten on Malibu Boats. So that was a nice one. Um, another brand that I felt at home with, the the team, the vibe, the energy. Um, Brian Thomas, shout out. The team manager there was awesome. Uh, who else was I with? It's Oakley. Rockstar. Rockstar. I was with Oakley for a little bit, and that fell through eventually. Um, yeah, Rockstar was an interesting one, similar to Tony and stuff. Like um, To me, it was like we're on tour, Dishman approaches Raf and I and he's like hey Rockstar wants to sign you guys like right now and then Raf had always been in the they're talks they're quick they're quick they already been in the talks well I mean they'd been working on that for a while I they'd know. seen us for events and stuff but Raf was always in the talks of like signing with Rebel and Raf was like oh no like I'm not signing right now and like is that a good idea is that a good idea for me like Rockstar Red Bull like I don't know and I was like I'm never going to get a contract from Red Bull. Like, Monster is stacked. Rockstar is, like, about to be stacked, but I'll get on the last wave. Like, sure, sign me up. So I signed. And, uh, yeah, then Oakley I was on for a little bit. I was actually on O'Neal wetsuits for a while, and I had traded basically XL wetsuits for O'Neal, but I had to get the clothing also. Mm. Um, And then... Oakley was just sunglasses. And then Billabong wetsuits eventually, because I got off O'Neill, then I was Oakley clothing and sunglasses, and I was Billabong wetsuits through Canada, Canadian distributor. So that, that's where I felt like I found an advantage finally from being not an American rider was I could get some deals through the Canadian distributors yeah. on a different budget. Because they also are given budgets for different weight, uh, yeah. sports and categories. Um, and then leading up, like 06, 07, and then the crash of 08, right before that, Oakley had push process, Billabong had out of the pond. And then I was like, the am going pro. I was starting to turn some heads in the pros. And then that happened. And then I saw all of my hopes and dreams with two of those big brands, like, <laughs> crushed. It's over. Um, so that was a bummer. Um, uh, but th- th- things worked out. Um, man, Follow came in. I was their first North American rider, so that was cool. I didn't know you were the first. I was North f- American. So it was Chris O, Mitch, Brenton, or Brenton and Mitch. Like I think, I don't know the sequence. Yeah. But it was those three guys. And then. I think I was their first North American rider, and I went to Australia for the first time. That was epic. I can only imagine. Man, it was cool. And if they did it right, like their first team trip, like they did a real freaking legit team trip. Yeah. Like it in the end, like it was they went over budget, <laughs> and like it 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 was a bit of a struggle after that. But like everything that came from there, like the team energy, the content, like the how the brand was viewed from that alone, I think was probably worth it in the long run. Yeah. Interesting. So, okay. We got Oakley. We got Rockstar. I mean, we got some big companies in. What was the biggest, what was the highest paying one? Slingshot on my second sign. Let's talk about the second sign. What's that looking like? Well, I didn't get my pro model on my third year. I got it on my fourth year. Okay. And then it was a three-year deal with uh, three pro models. 
Um, so that was really fun. I got to design a board. I mean, that's one of your in the R and D checkboxes, right? And then I got to create three different dra- three different graphics three years in a row. Um, we did Lip Smack, we did the movie this time around, we did Dot AU, which was a trip in Australia. <clears throat> so those three years were amazing. Uh, that contract, I think it was like. 24, 26, 28, or something like that. Plus five bucks a board. Yeah, yeah. I, I sold a decent amount of board the first year and a half. The The first year was okay. The second year, I think, was good. Actually, I had four years of pro model. One, two, three, four. I had four. Okay. So the first two years, I think I sold decent. In the last two years, they produced less, so I was limited to my success. Yeah, but I mean that's the end. You know, that's the that's when you learn as you go how everything works more, right? Well, and we'll get into a little bit. I mean, I'm sure you have some advice now, and I want to get into that in a little bit. But so, what, what was your what was your pro model board? Just run us run run everyone through what the board design was and your thought process into going. Okay, so like at Slingshot, I was like I said, like a guy that was riding boat and cable. Yeah, and like we were an era where a lot of brands were doing one boat board and one cable board, or rail board. You know, so the concept was to have one board that could do it all. And they had fins that were a little shorter and a little wider. So, like, that's what I wrote on, on the boat contest side. So I could still press and I could still, like, you know, front board on my tail or whatnot and, like, not rip off the fins. Yeah. Um, so I wanted a board that was going to be fast on the water because you want to land with speed. I had busted both my knees already, so I needed a board that was going to not make it worse on my knees. Um, So I wanted a little bit wider for rail surface, obviously a little wider tips, um, but not making it too draggy for riding the boat. Um, And I liked the fast board um, on edge, but then I kind of liked the idea of having a three-stage rocker. So it was kind of like somewhat of a hybrid. Um, but the first few trials of the prototypes, like it was like sick on the boat. And then I take it to OWC and like, it wouldn't work. It was like too fast or like it would suction cup to the features. Um, I forget the name of the, the engineer that came out with the, the, the shape. It was, uh, oh, actually it was Tony Lagos. Tony Lagos was like, okay, you guys have worked on this project long enough. Like you haven't figured it out. Like, let me take the grasp of it. <laughs> So like he figured out what I needed and then they actually used that same pattern on uh, different boards, just in different like variables of how they were doing the channel, um, which was great. Like I love that board. I still have used versions of those four years. You don't have any, any new ones sitting around but used ones? No. I should look online and see if I can buy one. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. If you, as long if, as you, you if you got one to sell that's brand new, hit me up. <laughs> As long as you don't buy that scurf out from under me, I think we'll be all right. Yeah, man, I'm tempted. So what was your biggest year financially, would you say? Mm, probably those last two years. It's, no, the second last year at Slingshot, because the last year at Slingshot, they didn't do what they said they were going to do. <laughs> Which was? <laughs> pay me. <laughs> they didn't pay you? No. Anything? They paid me my royalties. But not your salary? Not my salary. Uh, interesting. Which is why the last year I wrote a board that was all painted black on top. Uh, you're, you pulled that move. I had to. Love that move. I had to. It's a great I'm, a vet, I'm the veteran on your team. I'm top, ta- top paid. 
as a single rider, like Shredtown altogether earned more than me. Yeah. But like I'm your, I guess like your your first ranking rider. I'm doing both cable and boat. I have a presence in every single continent. I'm doing boat shows. I'm in magazines with boat boat brands. I'm involved at like in every level on every platform. I'm there. And then they, they stopped paying me. What was the reason? Did you ever get a they reason? They changed a budget, cut in budget. And I was like, I was willing to work with them. I was like, hey, you want to like, you know, give me less? And like, you know, like I understand like if you're trimming, if you're cutting my entire salary, maybe you can trim everybody a little bit. Like it's a team effort. I still want to be on the team. Yeah. I'm friends with everyone. I feel like I'm an integral part of the brand. I've given you all of my best years. And on my last year, are you going to do that? Like, and this was after I actually did my Achilles. I r- ruptured my Achilles. And then the last year when I'm coming back is when they said, we're not paying you. So I was like, okay, you're going to play that card. Like, I was really upset. Took took some took some time before. I was I, gonna say, still it, a little bit sour. Or is it all pretty? No, it's all gone. Now? Like it doesn't it doesn't remove the fact that they did what they did. Sure. But I accepted it. It's been a couple years now. Yeah, I've had time. I've had time to accept it. I mean, yeah, it went through it, COVID. It took all me COVID. a couple. It took me like a good two years to like get over it. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Just you know, like that's that's not how you you do good business for sure. And like you know, respect the mckee for making those calls like when you're a team manager and you got to make those shitty calls like with your friends like that sucks um at the same time there were other moments where you did some stuff and i was like okay i'm not down this isn't cool like jeff come on yeah um but i mean business business is business Business exactly business so raf wants to know slingshot or liquid force Mm. i haven't ridden a slingshot in since i didn't have to anymore so I respected my contract and I wrote my painted pro model until my contract ended. It wasn't in the And in the I contract. haven't ridden a slingshot board since. It wasn't in the contract that you couldn't paint over your graphics? Uh no. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean what are, what are they gonna do? Like <laughs> they got my check already. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> What's there left to come for now? <laughs> Nothing. Um so yeah, the answer is for me, liquid force. I ride Liquid Force. Since that contract ended, I tried all the different boards, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to support my brother. I'm going to ride every single thing that he reps. So I ride his boat board. I ride his cable board. I ride his boots. Still now, like I, in my board bag, I flew here yesterday. I have like a six or four or five seasons ago boat and cable raft board. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I don't, I don't need the new and latest. I, I'm, I'm cool with it. <laughs> Hey, I mean, yeah, that's that goes to show you don't need a brand new board as long as you got one under your. So, Raf, the answer is neither. It's it's I ride what you ride, but now you don't ride anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> I ride what you used to ride. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Now so he he rode this summer actually. Did he? Raf still rides. Yeah. Okay. Still sick. Of course. I mean, come on. Yeah. Expect I mean, nothing less there. I mean, yeah, exactly. Uh, let's. Uh, so you, you mentioned Rockstar. How were you with uh, with the posting of the Rockstar? The the two. What was it? Two month. Was yeah, two posts a month. How were you with that? Pretty good? Mm, I mean, I was pretty on top of doing what I needed to do, but I did not enjoy it. I, I must say like that that ruined social media for me. Once I those contracts ran out, I mean you can you can have a look if you want how often on my 
on my uh, handle how many times I've posted since like 2020, <laughs> 2019. Not very much. <laughs> I'm like on the story. I watch what everyone's doing. I like comment, but like I don't post anything anymore. Like I don't. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, those Rockstar Can ones, it's almost, you almost want to do those at like 3 a.m. when no one sees them. It's kind of, that's the kind of move I'd, I feel like a lot of people would play. Yeah. It's just tough. It's like a forced, I mean. Well, it's, yeah, know. like grow, growing up being such a fan of like action sports and like snowboarding and skateboarding and surfing and moto and this and that, like I didn't see the value in doing that. Yeah. Like I don't think that it brings good value by me doing things that devaluates me. It's almost like someone in a meeting was like, oh, yeah, and we'll have him do two posts a month. And everyone was like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Boom, it's in everyone's contract. Well, I mean, I get it. Like, you need to do something if they're paying you. Sure. Right? It's not very creative, though. No. And, you know, if it was more like, hey, everyone do one, and, like, you guys focus on this first week, you guys focus on the second week. You Because fo- what ended up happening was, like, at every Pro Tour or, like, Rockstar contest, someone would take a shot there but everyone would do it at the same time so it's like you open your instagram and there's like 15 because rockstar was stacked so there's 15 yeah. photos of rockstar cans and then you don't see them for a month yeah um but yeah at the end of the day like i didn't see the value in doing that like if i don't come off because it's like social media allowed everyone to have their personal brand so if my brand if i felt like i was devaluating my brand by too much posting the same stuff that has no impact then i'm not just lowering the impact and the value of my brand but also yours yeah so that's where i was like well i mean there's also the fact that like it wasn't cool i mean it's pretty uh (laughs) you know and that's just my opinion and I'm from a certain generation, like I'm going to be 38, like, you know, maybe someone that's like 10 years younger is like, yeah, Instagram's the greatest. I love posting like that. And like, it's cool. Yeah, it is cool. But if you're not using it, I don't know. I think we've talked enough of this subject. <laughs> okay. I actually do have a question that, that ties into that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so brands budgets for athletes, strictly athletes have shrunk undoubtedly mm. since the days you were in it, since the days before you. Yes. We're in it. Um, if you had any advice now that you are a little bit more behind the scenes and you've lived it, you've lived getting contracts to have any advice for riders that want to get a piece of the pie that want to get enough to live off of from brands, what would it be? Get involved. Like in my era, no social media, right? The only way to get involved is to show up. There's a contest. There's the boat show. There's a movie showing. You you go. You meet people. You get amongst it, you know, and you keep going because that's the only way that you, A, get to, you know, if you enjoy that much, you get to learn from the industry. You get to be exposed to it. B, if you're shy and you're kind of in the background but you ride really well, well, then you have, like, an impact with your riding. If you have an impact on shore because you're helping the retailers set up the tent and sell some stuff or if you're helping with judging or if you are like like me hey i'll be row bitch i want to watch the pros ride i'll do i'll undo the knots as quick as i can 
and take my time if my favorite writer is going next and I want it to get flatter, like whatever, like just get involved. That's the only way to break through. That's the first step. Like you can be the best writer in the world, but until then you bring no value if you're not a part, like if you're not helping and supporting and growing and like if you're not trying to make it better, if you're not presenting yourself and you're just on your phone making a post every once in a while, like you're not going to break through that way. So the first step is get involved, get amongst it, work on your personality, work on your knowledge, work on your writing. All those things are important. Absolutely. That's yeah. That's get involved in person is a big one too. I mean, I feel like, cause you were just saying you can make a post, you could scroll through like stuff, but are you really doing anything real? in terms of like the culture of the sport and getting people into it from just behind the screen of your phone. Um, looking back, would you have approached any sponsors or contracts differently? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, every little bit of experience helps, right? So like the more you learn, the better you navigate it. Um, also like the first step is like trying not to expect too much. You know, like it's your dream. You want it so bad, like your expectations are sky high. And then more often than not, you're going to turn around and be, you know, disappointed. Um, but of course, like I, I learned a great deal through the years of like, you know, being quite green and not necessarily understanding, you know, the concept of how things work. And, you know, for a teenager to just see the best riders getting, you know, paid and making a living, it's it's not just being about it's not just about being a good rider. There's yeah. a lot more things. So like learning how to navigate the contracts and the right people and how to talk about it, how to abort, how to board the subjects, how to do that, understanding. And that's one of the biggest things that I realized later on that frustrated me was that there was no one there to help teach and to help transcend the knowledge and like to, to, to help the next generation to make it and to keep it going right and like my I had some really cool fun teen managers and I had some not so great ones al along the way but at the end of the day I'm still mad that there was not one that was like hey this year you focus on this you this year you focus on this Instead, it's just like, hey, well, if you do something that's good for you, it's good for us. In my generation, you did boat contests, rail contests, cable contests, boat shows, demos, uh, coaching. Like, you did every single thing. So, like, when they said do everything, I still did everything. So, how could I really help you if you don't tell me how I can help you? And those are the people with the advice and the knowledge and the wisdom to actually help you, right? Well, like if they're team manager, they're part of the marketing team. They know the exactly. trajectory of the brand. They know where the brand's going, what they're focused on. Is this product? Is this like brand? Is it like um, putting on events? Like what do you need your riders to do to help the brand? And then the more you help the brand, the better value your rider gets. And in the era that I was in, it was also like, well, if you get an ad with one brand, and then you get another ad with the other brand. Well, then you basically get both their brands out there. Yeah. And then let's say you get a, a, a photo section full page. Well, the ads they paid for, but this one you get from your writing and like, I guess the way you can navigate the industry. Like you work with the photographer and another writer or two to set up a morning session or a rail or this or that. Like it was 
Yeah. So having the TMs be more involved in the sense of the vision for what the riders are not expected of, but advice for them would be something that you'd just direction at least direction, just direction at least, yeah. you know, what, I mean, did you get, I mean, did you get any direction from TMs that you can use as a good example? Not as like, much as I would have liked. And I didn't see that very much and I had to dig for it. See that very much from other riders or just for you specifically? Generally speaking, yeah. generally speaking, I mean, with my brother, same thing. Like he always had his own vision, which hats off to him. It's kick-ass vision. Yeah. Yeah. Kick-ass vision. I wish I would have had a better vision. My vision was like, I first got into this sport because like, obviously I loved being on the water and like board sports. Then I started vi seeing videos and like the magazines and like the lifestyle was a huge thing too. You know, like the having fun on the water, obviously like I'm a teenager, like parties and bikinis and like flips and like, you know, all this crazy athletic stuff and like there were a lot of stunts back then too and like daredevil type yeah. you know oh, approach yeah. and vision and like all of that excited me and like that was that was it that pulled me in so hard and then like it's obviously the sports evolved and changed over the years and obviously so has the sponsor budgets for a lot of brands that were in or out of the industry you know yeah absolutely um, wow, that was some some great knowledge coming <laughs> from Molly D right there. Uh, I got a, I got a question. So, who made more money from wakeboarding, you or Raf? Mm. I'll let you have a guess. I know Raf lost some money on some projects, or or spent his own money on some projects. So I don't know if we count that into the equation. Hold on, time. Do you know anyone who doesn't have to spend their own money on projects? Well, I don't know anything about pro. I mean, yeah, I guess I don't know. Well, we're back in the day, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So short answer, Raf made quite, <laughs> quite a bit more than I did. Um, but back to the prior conversation about like how to help riders, this and that, like yeah. the biggest thing is always invest in yourself, reinvest in yourself. I've seen so many riders break through. They were like young, young up and coming studs. They get their first big deal and then take a seat then they're sick then they made it you know now they are pro they're wearing their hat they got this they got that so they're partying a little bit more i mean partying is always the scapegoat like it's always the first and easy thing to say that someone's not doing what they should be doing just because they're partying too much it's 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 kind of shit but it's kind of true um just saying that like once you get your first contract well then it's not like you get to stack that money in your pocket no you need to reinvest it because if you don't you don't get to the next level where you get to get paid more. So like if you get paid, well then you need to take that money and travel and do the contest or hire someone to help you fo film you or take photos or you go taking off some uh, winter trip so that you can keep riding in the winter and like make new friends and like take photos in different places. And yeah. like, you know, you always gotta put more into where you're trying to go. And in terms of the, the view of the sport and the, like the, the, where the sport goes, that's also crucial in terms of progression of the sport, getting content out there. It's like, if you're one of the people who gets paid and then takes a seat, step back, it's like, you're kind of not fulfilling the role that a top pro should be, which is to continue to push the bounding boundaries and continue to grow yourself to grow the sport along with you. I think at least. Of course. And it comes back to like the first tip that I give or that I gave is get involved, help, help get it, help make it better, help grow it you got to physically be involved. Well, if you're 
not spending your time helping it, progressing it, whether like it's physically with events or like with a vision, a project, this and that, whatever it is. If you're not like, if you're not putting in the work, well, then nothing's coming back. Yeah. Why are you even here? I mean, at, at a certain point, why are you even involved anymore if you're not involved? Like if your goal was just to make it and write it out, like that's fine. But then don't be sour when the bus didn't come back to pick you up for your next track, your next contract. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you, you touched on earlier breaking your uh, leg at OWC. Mm. And I want to bring that up again because I didn't, I mean, I didn't really know about this. So run us through breaking your leg at OWC. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> a little did, shift, but did you ever see the wakeboarding mag cover of Kyle Schmidt on a S rail? Maybe. I don't know. Okay. So they, he actually broke his leg on that rail too. He fell through and exploded his patella hitting one of the posts. Um, at least that's the story that I got. So a lot of things, like, I don't know if they're really fact checks or not, but like, that's <laughs> at least enough, I mean. what I understand or I've been led to understand over the years. So anyways, this is 2002 Worlds, Orlando. It's the last stop of the Vans Triple Crown on the boat side. And then, you know, the slider spectacular. So it's like the infancy of that. So they had like one of the nights before, I think it's the Friday night before, like the weekend of all the pro events. They do like a nighttime ride contest at OWC and all the pros or lots of the pros are riding and like everyone's gathered and it's great. Like I'm just eating it up, right? Um, or at least I thought I was going to because I show up, I think like on a Wednesday. Um, so this is my first time going to Worlds. This is 2002. It's the first time I went to Canadian Nationals and competed. So I met Rusty and Henshaw and Steve McKinley and, you know, Brady Price and a lot of the big names in Canada at the time. And then we get to Florida. Rusty's there. My parents pick him up. Rusty and I are like a year apart, so we're hanging out. We're going to the cable park. My parents go to visit some friends, and we're riding the S-Rail. But the S-Rail isn't capped. And it's um, last corner before Moda Tower, so coming back to the left. And uh, I fell through. <laughs> I did. I would like try just the second C, I guess. And eventually, I tried the whole thing a couple times, and like I got in, and I banked into the inside, and I fell through, and I ran my leg into one of the posts. And then I'm in the water, and I'm like, oh my god, this is two days before the contest starts. My parents aren't here. I think I just broke my leg. This is the worst. So I swim out to where like I can touch the bottom. I somehow managed to take my board off. And then I'm like, okay, I'm gonna put my weight on my leg in the water with my vest on to see like how bad it is. I barely put my foot down and it just feels terrible. I'm like, fuck. So like I swim to shore, I'm sitting down and then Rusty comes and picks me up. And I still have this vivid memory of like watching Rusty's feet and seeing mud come through his toes and holding my leg with two hands because I didn't want it to move and I'm just looking down at my leg and being so scared and then they called the ambulance Russian ambulance whatever I broke my tib fib ugh gotta skirt the rails rails gotta be skirted mm. it's uh wow gnarly yeah it was it was pretty gnarly how long was the recovery on that mm, I think it was like the typical five six weeks in a cast like 
thigh at the ankle. And then the day that we removed it, we went on a graduation school trip. So we went from Montreal to New York City and D.C. to visit museums and walk around for four days. That was my PT. Build some muscle back up real quick. Man, it was long days. Yeah, I've been drinking a lot thank of God from, Thank God for my friends who at the end of the day, like seeing me struggle with my cane and stuff. They were like, you want to piggyback? <laughs> yes, please. Absolutely. All right. You, uh, you are a self-proclaimed, I don't want to use the word wake, oh, wake nerd, but you, okay, you seem okay. to. Okay, yeah, wake nerd. Yeah, yeah I'm a wake nerd. You seem to dabble in, uh, you know, some, some wake history. So I've got some trivia for you. Oh, I'm scared. And um, yeah, so you got some wakeboard knowledge. First question, who invented wakeboarding's most overrated trick, the tantrum to blind? Oh. I don't know the year. I but don't know. Is it Greg Nekrasov? It is not. Mm, it must be before that. Uh, I'll give you two more guesses. I don't know that one. I'm really going to try... Could it be like Eric? Is it Schmaltz or Schultz? Or nope. No. Mm. When when I tell you, you're gonna be like, "Wow." Gator? Nope. No, he's more front flip. Darren guy. Shapiro. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Darren did invent a lot of freaking tricks. He's a tank. <laughs> yeah, sneaky, sneaky. I he's feel like a lot of people don't think about it, but that, but he did. Um, who had the ending part in the 2016 wakeboard film Dog Days? Randall. No. What? What do you mean, what? Damn. I haven't watched Dog Days in a while. Sorry, Trevor. Um, <laughs> yeah, everyone hasn't seen it, Dog Days. Go is it Twelker? Must be Twelker. Twelker, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even write that down, so I, I knew that one off the top of the dome there. Um, in the 2023 ZMT project, Violet, how many street spots did Jake Flynn hit? I got a, this is multiple choice, so you got options here. You, you, this Violet is, was produced by ZMT? Well, yeah, Dylan Mead. Okay, okay. It's on the YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah, right on. Um, um, have you seen it? I did. Okay. So I'll get... How many it, street spots? Yeah, I, how many different street spots? Because there's one park spot. I'm not including that in the uh, in the count here. I'll, I'll give you... If you can guess first, otherwise I'll give you four options. A little multiple choice. I'm going to say like 14. Close. 12. Ooh. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's I mean, a lot. I, I know that it was a lot. And like... A lot is like not twenty and winching. Like a lot is like yeah. <laughs> anything over anything north of ten for yeah, a, yeah, a video yeah. project. I Close think. to a dozen is a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay. Right on. You Pretty scared close. me. I knew you were going to come at me with some stuff. That See, Randall with dog days. That's the that's like the obvious answer. Well, it's like I remember like that that one section and obviously those tricks. I was just like so good. that stood out so much that like the 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 the, the go to thought of dog days is like Randall. Obviously, the whole West Coast gang, and there's so much good writing in that movie and how it's pr presented. And uh, the last four or five years, I can't say that I've watched enough wakeboarding videos. Gotta give him some rewatches. Yeah, for sure. All right. Speaking of videos, Quiet Please. Mm. I, I, I said Quiet Please. Mm. <laughs> quiet Please. Uh, how, did, how did this group of riders get chosen? Um, so it was a uh, Transworld Wake project uh, I believe led by Sean Perry at the time and um, so like typical movies like brands support and then brands kind of submit or choose which riders they would like to be and then they have the discussion with the media production to see like if it fits and this and that 
So originally it was supposed to be Shred Town for Slingshot. And I think before that, I think, okay, so originally I think it was supposed to be this whole crew and then with Raph. And then Raph was doing his own project. So he, I guess, opted out. And then Slingshot got on and it was going to be Shred Town. And then I don't know exactly what happened if they already started working on their own project or if they were about to. So then they were out or opted out. And then they handed me the opportunity like halfway into the project. And I was like, let's, let's do it. I'm in, I'm in. Like I've never had like a full part in yeah. a non team video. So I was like, please let me have this opportunity. I'm down. And it was great because Rathy's in the movie and that's who I partnered up to try and we had limited opportunities to film the main filmer resided in California. So we didn't get to film with him very much. He took like a trip or two to Orlando. And then the rest of the time we're like, well, shit, we have a full part to, we have to acquire clips. How do we do that? Can we like film with friends that have cameras? Can we pay them? How does it work? Like we're trying to figure all that out. And then eventually when we did, then, you know, my old friend, Patrick Whelan, who I did lots of projects with that slingshot was the man that we, we're working with to get some shots when Neil wasn't around. Love it. Uh, what's it like to follow Randall's part in a video? Ooh, it's not easy. Especially that part. Yeah. I mean, Randall's got a lot of good parts, but it, it, I mean, that one goes hard. I remember when Bear, Bear was like, I heard a rumor Randall's getting that that new Lil Wayne song for his track, <laughs> and Bear with Birdman got the rights. To do it, he got the rights. I think he did. Wow, something like that. Maybe, maybe, like I said, maybe we need the fact checks. Maybe I'm. Well, like, maybe we don't need to fact check that. And maybe he did get the rights, and he got the rights. Maybe to he did. Song. Anyways, I just remember Bear saying, "It's going to be gonna Lil be, Wayne to Randall." It's going to go hard. Damn, that's sick. Um, yeah, it wasn't easy. But my favorite part, you're bringing up Randall. Quiet, please. So, in one of my opening, in the first few shots that I have, I'm doing a setup off of uh, Rathy's dock. It's a kicker with a fence and a down bar. And then Randall is pulling me on the jet ski. That was cool. Yeah, that was yeah. sick. I mean, that's a really long down bar in that. Uh, I mean, and, or at least it looked long. With, with and we had to go fast because I had to clear the fence and I had to wait before I could pass my board over. And we had to drive fast and on a turn because there's like weeds and stuff like that. And it was really fun to work on that process with Randall. To get it yeah because obviously like you get to work with one of your heroes and like i didn't really get to hang out with randall very much and obviously he's a quite intimidating figure when you're a wake nerd and like he's there and like you know his style and his accent and the tattoos and the way he dresses and like all the energy that's around 270 just, better be fucking like, teed up <laughs> i'm i'm not just gonna go up as a little guy and be like hey what's up man like in can you tell me something cool? Like, you know, <laughs> so like getting to hang out with him on, on that project and like to work on that with him was really cool. At the beginning of your part, I don't know if you remember this, but you're nodding at the camera for like a long time. Is it, <laughs> what were you nodding at? <laughs> Do you remember? Or was it just, I have no idea. I want to put that clip. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, put the clip on, or at least maybe when we finish this interview, I'll have a look <laughs> so I could have a good laugh. Okay, yeah, we'll do that. Um, I assume that it's probably going on longer than real life because it's slow mode. It is slow mode, like all great wakeboard movies. It has a lot of slow mo noise. Um, <laughs> what's up with the fake clothes out of the projects that you built in that video? Mm. 
This was a personal thing I had to yeah, get off my so, chest. Yeah, so like I said, we were struggling for clips, hey? So uh, we're like, we need like rail hits. We need more rail hits. Where can we build something cool? Where do we have like room to... So called up Travis and Pat and we're like, can we come to the projects and do something? They're like, yeah, yeah. So we show up and like we just piece some stuff together like... I actually rode in jeans in one of those shots. Yes, you did. Like wake pants style. <laughs> sure did. Yeah, I remember the clip. Um, but yeah, the closeout, like obviously the idea was to make a closeout. Um, but you're being pulled with a jet ski. Uh, the rope can get caught and like break stuff. Like I can get caught and break stuff. It's the middle of the season. I also have contests and demos and coaching and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm not making a dime from being in a video part. Like you don't get paid to be in a video part. Like you're putting You pay time and money. <laughs> blood and tears too. Yeah. So like you know, I obviously wanted to do something cool but I didn't want to die. I came close to I ate pretty good shit on one of those clips. I'm you did. glad I didn't die. <laughs> close out to give away thankfully though. Yeah, well of course. Well I mean the gate is actually probably the same weight I am. So like I need to hit it pretty hard to get moving. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, what's your, what's your favorite clip from your part in that movie or mm. clips? You can have a couple. Um, I think my ender is my favorite just because of the concept. Yeah. I don't remember. It was at shred town, right? No, I was at the projects. Really? Yeah. They had a 2.0 in the cove. Oh, it looked like it. Well, I say the projects. It's the boarding school. I'm sorry, Travis. It's the boarding school. I'm just that old, and you know, like I got some memories. You know, I've tried to get Travis on quite a bit, so you can keep saying the projects. And <laughs> he said he's down, but we just can never make it happen. I mean, he's a busy man. You're, you're actually, if you want to have a real shot, like you have to go interview him there. No, I moved to Florida, build a fucking studio. Come to, come here. Come on. But we'll happen. We'll make it happen. Yeah, we'll, about it. we'll make it happen. All right. So that was that seven seven twenty. Yeah, right? double shifty cap seven. Like I always saw, like shifties were cool, and I was like, well, there needs to be like a reason why you're doing a shifty and you're not grabbing your board. And then like obviously the progression of the sport. I'm doing lots of rail, like going to more and more urban. I didn't have any wind shots, but I want to bring some level of commitment into it. So like obviously a, a easy out, clo easier out closeout was cool. I did a rail to like wood. Um, so shifty through like the football goal style i thought would be cool stomped it too just absolutely it felt it. good yeah i felt good to like have you know the the whole thing and like i totally understand like obviously every rider that has a vision of a trick and a setup that they want to build or a spot that they want to winch at and like to put it together and like when you make when you bring it to life that is like the satisfaction and that's the best part is like you have the idea you're not sure if it's going to work. Can you pull it off? Like, how many times is it going to take? How many hits? How many days? And then you put it together and that feels You good. watch it back and you're like, yep. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. That's, yeah. So, like, that fence gap to back lip that I did with Randall driving and then the cab seven, probably. Okay. Those ones felt good. I think cab seven is my favorite. That was, mm. it's cool. It was cool. You did like you. 180 then. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk Wake Brothers. Oh. <laughs> Yes, let's let's do <laughs> let's do it. And I don't mean you and Raph. Oh, I, mean I know the show MTV. I Wake mean there are many Wake brothers, and they keeps there keeps being more. They keep spawning. Yeah, they're just more and more. That's great. I Wake love brothers. it. Brothers, we should get another Wake brothers MTV run. I mean, run it back. Uh, what was it like to be involved in the in the show? I got a lot of I got a lot of questions, but interesting to say the least. Very interesting. It was um, each 
episode was five days of filming. And the week went from two, uh, it was, the weekend was Monday, Tuesday. So it went, it went from Wednesday to Sunday. Your weekend was Monday, Tuesday. You guys had Monday, The Tuesday filming off. was off. Okay. Um, so I lived at that house. I'd been living there. I lived there four years with Phil. Um, and I think that was year three. But on the show, I didn't live there. I was just a friend. And the hardest part was that I lived there, but there's a crew there of like 12 to 18 people. And then like all the other people that need to be there, whether it's catering and then like all the invited riders that are part of the episode and this and that. But I'm trying to live my normal life. So I'd come in and like, I'd try and leave the house as much as possible. So for example, I'd go ride at Rathy's with Raf in the morning. Then I'd come back to make myself lunch before I go to the cable park in the afternoon, right? Um, so I walk in and I'm all quiet. I'm making a sandwich. But like Phil's kitchen at the time was quite echoey. So like I drop my knife on the table. It goes ding. And then I hear, what the fuck was that? And I'm like, they're in the middle of like doing interviews and like I ding. And I'm like, they come out and they're so angry. And I'm like, I'm sorry, guys. Like, I'm not trying to be a jerk or anything, but like, I also live here and I'm trying to eat. Like, unless you want to give me money to go like eat out of the house, like, I also need to do my thing. Like, yeah. I get it. Like, you know, do you want me to text you next time and be early and like, hey, I'm going to come and make myself lunch from like 1 to one thirty. Like, can you take a break? Whatever. Like, I don't know. Um, so they were just like, okay, no problem. Text us next time, whatever. Um, there was also a time where I was like, can I have a budget to go to the gym? Because like all the equipment for me to work out that's in the garage is like piled on with like camera gear and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I can't really do anything. Um, and they just cleared some stuff around. So, you know, there was some good and some bad about that whole thing. Like, Somewhat accommodating. It sounds like though, at least they tried. Yeah, yeah, They made it work. And you know what? Like the crew was fun. The gang was fun. The experience was very interesting but like it, it's kind of surreal because in a way like never in a never would I have imagined that I would be on a TV show like that then again we're doing it with all our friends and as kooky as it was we were all so scared it was going to come off even more kooky like I remember like with Bob at night we'd have so many conversations I was like dude you guys get to dictate how wakeboarding is going to come off to the world and I was always so upset that it would be like three cutaway shots of like an ungrabbed scarecrow on a choppy day because that is when they scheduled we were going to wakeboard at 1230 when the sun's all the way up and it's windy as. And I was like, this is fucking stupid. Like, let's make it where it's about like, yes, you guys, but let's make wakeboarding cool. But MTV is more about like they're going to run their show, everything else, the drama and the bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> which there was quite a bit of. I mean, that's of. what does the numbers, man. That's what the people want to see when they're watching MTV, I guess. But, like, none of us are actors. So when they say reality TV, it's like, well, you're real people. But then imagine we just had this whole conversation, and then some walks in, someone walks in and says, hey, let's do it again. But instead of saying it this way, say it that way, and then say that. So meaning like a moment would happen in the show and they were like, oh, that's a good moment. Let's tweak it a little bit. Run it back. Yeah. 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 And then you're just like, dude, it's 
not how this really works for I, us. We're not actors. We're, we're, we're just, you know, like it is strange and we're conscious that there's cameras and whatnot, but like, you know, it's weird and funny and like, we're not actors. Like you want me to like try and reenact that? Like that's naughty. Like yeah. it's, it doesn't seem fun anymore if it's not organic. Um, 100%. I'm grateful for the experience, but I always get nervous and cringe when people bring it up because I'm like, oh man, that was so weird. <laughs> Uh, did they pay you for that? They, pay, they, they pay paid you? They paid you per episode. Was it different per person or was it? I mean, obviously Bob and Phil. Of course it was different. Deal, but. Like I think like, you know, obviously Bob and Phil got paid way more than we did, but it's their show and they're on every episode and like the time that they're they have to put in and like their brand as a person also, like whether it goes well or not, like, you know, there's also implications. Um, I forget. I think I got paid like, five or five between five and eight hundred per episode it's not great for, for, it's a, full, not great. for a full week's work yeah and then like those also, days that you're filming you're on call like you don't get to go practice you don't get to see your friends you don't get to ride you don't get to work out you don't get to do anything you're just there and then like in my head i was like i'm wearing my rock star hat i'm wearing my oakley hat like i'm getting my brands as much screen Love, time yeah. as possible and like I'm going to try and milk that on my next contract and get some incentives. Nobody cared. Nobody asked anything. Like, I would send them screenshots and, like, whatever. And they were just like, we pay you to have our logo on. Like, Thanks for doing your job, man. You know, there's no photo incentive for this. <laughs> um, was there a rail jam in that show? Downtown Orlando or somewhere in Florida? There was a rail jam in Florida. And it was downtown Orlando. Was it real? I mean, I mean, we rode. Yeah, it was real. I don't know. Quinn Silvernail commented something the other day, and he was like, "It was a real but fake rail jam for the show." And I don't, I wasn't. So I saw that, and I can't remember if it was meant to have like prize money and like results, or if it was like a jam. Like I don't remember. Okay. Like I just remember that I was like, I don't want to get hurt. I just want to ride and <laughs> not get hurt because it's always janky, a little bit at least, and like it's fun, but like. You know, I'm like, what, what's the purse? Like, let's say it's a thousand dollars. I'm not about to like hold on to a landing that might not be perfect and then like get ejected off the pool and season's know, over. Season's over. <laughs> yeah. So like, I don't remember exactly. I think my vision of it was more like, we're going to go ride and then we're going to party. That sounds cool. And MTV was like, all right, we're going to settle this up. So I, I don't even remember if, yeah, I don't remember very much. Quinn, I think I'll talk to Quinn about it because he yeah, seems yeah. like he had a pretty good memory on it. So. Interesting. Any, anything else unique from that experience, Wake Brothers? Um, I think the wildest experience was the New York episode where we rode by the, uh, the Statue of Liberty. So I was the driver. So right beside me, I have a specialist to navigate those waters because there's like a lane for like the military. Yeah. Then there's like a a state lane then there's like a federal lane and then there's like the the shuttle boat that brings people to the staten island and off and whatnot so like he's like you see these white buoys if you get within 100 yards or whatever from this buoy we're all going like they're coming they're taking us in and like i'm canadian i don't know about your yards man like meters or feet kilometers 
miles but like yards like i don't play golf i don't play football like i don't know so i'm so nervous it's choppy as i'm trying to get some nice water phil's freaking out bob jumps in i'm driving boat like this whole thing and i'm like in the middle of it like it was really cool but it was also like why am i dry like why is it me <laughs> well you have the canadian and american waters worrying about distances and all that stuff. scapegoat blame the canadian that's true good point I thought that one through, I'm sure. Je ne parle pas anglais. Oui, oui. Tunis and Tunis. What was it like living with Phil Sovin? Because you said you lived for four years with him? Yeah, on and off four years. Like, same as the projects. I'd go there in the spring and then in the fall and then summer. And w- summer, we're on the road. Winters, I'd go home for a couple weeks, a couple months. Get some fresh air in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Get to play some hockey, snowboard, the holidays, family, this and that. I mean, what was, what was Phil like to live with? Um... You know how every crew's got like that one friend, like that one asshole friend? So Phil was that guy for us. So like, I loved Phil. When we're having, like if he's on a good day and we're having fun, like, dude, best time ever. And then there's some days, I don't know if like he didn't sleep or like he didn't eat or like there's something bothering him, but like all he was looking for was like creating like some scenario where like, he could get you he just wanted to know that he could get you it's a comment it's an action it's like he's just like looking to poke you he's just looking to get a reaction and knowing that he can get a reaction out of someone just made his day but like sometimes he was so not fun to be around why for example like i try and get as many friends as possible to come ride i'm also sponsored by malibu he's obviously phil sovin he's got a sick ass malibu at the end of his dock so He'd get out of his room like later in the morning and be like, how much gas did you put in? How many times did you ride? Mm, four gas cans, that's not enough. You owe me more. And I'm just like, dude, we both rode once, okay? We both put two cans in. We're good, bad. You, you want to ride? Like, I'll drive you. Like, I asked him to ride every day. And more often than not, he was like, nah, I'll ride later when it's flat. And I was like, okay, okay. How often did he ride, would you say? Not as often as you think for how good he was. Okay. I was always curious. So clutch. Like, obviously... So you could, could say he was talented. Dude. Or he put the time in earlier, and then once he got it locked in, dude, it was... so much time in. Yeah. So much time. And, like, you know, I thought I put a lot of time over the period of time. Like, he had full seasons in Florida. Yeah. More than I twice. I had three That's months, much. man. Yeah. Like, he rode so much from such a young age. Yeah. And then he kept doing it and getting better, and then he filmed, and then he can so many contests, and he traveled, and he kept... Like, he put so much time in so much time in and like i still think to this day that he's the winningest wakeboarder ever in the history of the sport yeah, he's I don't know the won so many that. contests he was the best for so long like if there was a, a ranking like he was probably number one for the longest time uh could you beat dallas friday though mm, probably not winningest male wakeboarder probably i'd like to know the numbers on that that'd be very interesting to see yeah, there's a season, actually, there's a season where both Phil and Bob went undefeated on the Pro Tour in Pro Men and Junior Men. And it's the year that Bob and Mitch Langfield tied at three of the five stops, but Bob got the tiebreaker. How does it, tiebreaker work? Remember? It was like the, the format with the categories, I think. So if you won the two categories with the highest percentage, mm-hmm. or like there was something like that. Yeah. So like it's 
It was yeah. written in that. It's it's yeah. It's okay. the tiebreaker that went to the tiebreaker. Like I think it was the second or the third tiebreaker. But that was a crazy year. Like to see them both like put it down every time, every round, every condition. You know, it's. I remember a time Phil was so damn good. He fell on a crow five of all tricks because he would never fall on a skeezer five. He fell on a crow five against Chad Sharp in Fort Worth, and the whole crowd cheered. It was crazy. Like we're talking about Raf and Mer- Verstappen, like always winning. Like Phil fell, people got happy. It was crazy. Wow. But he was that good. The guy didn't like. He always found a way. He always found a way. Well, he knew how to win too. He knew how to win contests. Sometime you like this one time he pulled out like a Moby Dick seven to win. This other time he pulled out a Pete five. I've never seen him do a Pete five. I had just learned to Pete five. He pulled out a Pete five at weight games to win. I was like, when? I've de- like what? Just has it. Just could deliver when needed. Pressure it makes diamonds. It's Phil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, big time players make big time plays. That's yeah. what happens. Let's uh, let's talk 1080. Mm-hmm. Antique weight games, 2012, right? I think something like that. Yeah. Okay. Harley stumped the first one, mm-hmm. right? You stumped the second. Mm. How bummed are you? You didn't go first, dude. So the two weeks leading to that event were on the deadline for lip smack i had landed one 1080 off the wake at rusty's with jd for jeff mckee put on this like 1080 camp for the magazine yeah yeah and that was my first 1080 i landed it i did it off the wake now there's a g i'm for two weeks straight as soon as it's decent i'm waking up at like crack acid on driving over from claremont i was living at dillaman uh no, I was at Phil's, leaving Phil's early in the morning, driving all the way to Narcusi to ride at Murray's on his G that's going to be released at Wade Games to try and film a 10. For two weeks straight, couldn't put it down. I'm so angry. I'm so pissed off. I didn't make it through my round. I've got all of like that anger, and then Harley goes before me, falls on a regular toe 10, gets back up, lands the switch toe 10. I am so fired up. First first crack, first tee, off the wake. I did it. I did it. And it was like, you know, one of those moments where like, I wish like this could happen and like it happens. One of those moments. That was one of those. Yeah. Like such a good release. Whose claim was better? Oh, mine for sure. Yours was way better. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I had so <laughs> <laughs> like you're talking about underdogs. Like I've always felt like an underdog. So when I got that moment, I was like, yeah <laughs> i mean harley was stoked but then i saw you land yours and it was just like oh yeah harley is pumped <laughs> it, up right it, it now. meant a lot more to me i think you know <laughs> yeah i could i can see that for sure all right uh I got a but the cool part about that is nati both gave us the five grand purse they honored the uh, honored for both of cool. us and Talk then i took be. a i found a knife and i split the check in half so we could both take a little memorabilia home nice yeah that was cool that's pretty sweet that's awesome Ten thousand for ten and eighties um, IWWF or WWA? Mm, it's a it's it's a no questions WWA. I understand why and I see the value in the IWWF. Unfortunately, in North America in wakeboarding, it doesn't work. Why? So, the structure of the federations and the association and how they are funded through the government. So it's like. You know, it's, I guess, through the IOC, 
to a certain degree and then like the different i guess events are federated or like there are different levels so like the olympics the pan ams the this the that you know um so essentially the funding comes through the water skiing channel so they basically when i say they the water skiing organizations have the control of how those funds are spent and obviously wakeboarding has not been able to get their what i like to think their fair share obviously even if i'm biased if we just looked at the stats and the data like it's quite easy and cut and dry to see that wakeboarding is not even getting close to what they should be yeah um that being said i think in other continents under different flags they are able to put in a functional system to support riders to at least get around to travel and make some events and have an impact enough to hopefully get some sponsor dollars you know there's a lot of pro riders that are funded mostly by their federation and that's sick okay i wish i would have had that opportunity we only could bank on the opportunity and the idea that some brands were going to see value in what we did and that we were going to be able to actually earn a living from it doing it through the federation is that much better there you're followed you're supported okay sure it's probably more of a like typical sport vision and trajectory following with the coach and the training and you know all of the very disciplined stuff which at the end of the day wakeboarding already took that trajectory if you want to be amongst the best you have to know what you're doing how you're going to do it and you know put the time so if you need to be in shape and be flexible and eat better like you must follow suit and i feel like i got to see that progression from like the party side of wakeboarding into like you need to be fit you need to train you need to do yoga you need to do these things to have a better preparation well obviously wwa iwf they're two different they're the yin to the yang it just doesn't really work here in north america is what you're saying right now without how i i is. hope to god that it'll, it'll change in the future yeah um i'm actually involved i'm on the wake canada board so i'm just the wake committee once a month we have a meeting i'm sorry guys the last few months i haven't been around for the meetings i try and follow up with the emails um but uh yeah i mean i i like to be involved i like i care enough to know what's happening and i want to give the best opportunities for the next generation of riders to be able to you know get the experience and to live the things that carry the torch them, yeah carry the torch and for them to be able to accomplish their dreams yeah absolutely okay that's a good answer um boater cable do i have to choose one yeah well to me boat is more accessible so boat um but god damn i love hitting rails and kickers like boat is softer on the knees you can also like wake surf and foil and like you know cruise around just driving around which is already fun you know hanging out at the cable park if you're not gonna ride is not as much fun you know for starters i don't know i don't know if i hear that mm, i mean it depends where you go and who's there and which park you go to i would say the same about being on a boat man i don't know for sure yeah, yeah, yeah i mean if it's on my boat then i get to control the environment that's right? true i just don't like sitting on a boat with a bunch with so like i'd say surfing. 51 boat 49 cable that's probably how i've approached my career 
And when it comes to watching wakeboarding, what would you rather watch? You can throw a winch in there too if you want. Mm, well, I mean, are we watching just like a contest or are we watching a video? Purely we for your entertainment. I think it's more about who I'm watching than what discipline I'm watching. Interesting. Because, you know, the good thing about social media is that there is so much content. It is also its downfall. It dilutes it so much that if I see another ungrabbed toeback seven pre-spun on a big fat kicker, like... I did one yesterday, but... Hey, they're fun to do. Doesn't mean that everybody wants to watch it. 100% agree. And I'm just saying that as in like, you know, there's really good content and it doesn't matter what level you're at. Like, it's always fun to watch, except that too much is like not enough, right? So if everyone's posting everything all day every day then like it doesn't have the same appeal doesn't have the same impact so doesn't matter what they're doing it's about who you're watching <sighs> yes yes okay. i like i i like to watch cable i watch probably more cable than boat there's okay. more bo there's more cable content too it, would you rather watch a full boat part a full cable part or a full winch part with your favorite rider Full winch part, of course, okay. no matter what. Full winch part. Like, if someone's going to put it out there, I know the effort that it requires to just even attempt to get a clip. I'd rather watch a mediocre winch part than, like, a very good boat or cable part, personally. That's legit. Yeah. That's legit. All right. Okay. I like it. That's okay. legit. Um, should Tara Mikasich have punched you in the face or your brother Raph? Mm, she should have punched me in the Well, <laughs> so... If someone would have had been punched, it should have been me. That being said, I don't think anybody deserved to get punched. I don't know, man. I don't know. Do you know the story? I know the story. Tell me. So there was some meat hanging around at a table, some raw meat. Okay. And there was some meat throwing. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there, so I can't retell the story. Okay. If you wanted to retell it, I'm yeah, sure Yeah, so we're, we're in Japan. It. We're in Tokyo. It's the Tokyo Pro Malibu for a couple of years put on a tri triple crown event, three stops. So there was always one U.S. continent and then one in Europe, one in Asia. So uh, the whole Malibu team, we go out to a shabu shabu, which is like a, you have a boiling broth and then you got a, you know, some meat and some veggies and you get to dip and cook it to your liking and you eat and we're all talking, we're all having a great time. We're in Tokyo, man. Wakeboarding took, took us to Japan. It's so sick, right? We're all having a good time. Um, Tara is vegan at the time. I think she still is. And, um, you know, obviously, well, we're not dipping our stuff in her bowl and like, you know, we're careful of that. But at the end of the night, um, think it was me and somebody else like maybe Massey and Parker not trying to throw anyone under the bus but I think it was the three of us mostly but what we did with the food that we weren't going to finish and we we stuffed it in a little cloth and then a little further up the road we started throwing them at each other so it was like mushroom this and a little piece of meat and this and that but all there was left at the end was the cloth and it was a little pink from a bit of blood. So it, w it kept getting tossed. And then Tara said a few times, like, you guys know not to get that near me. And then we're literally, like, 200 feet away from the hotel door. And it happened so quickly. Someone threw it to me. 
and it landed on my shoulder and I tossed it forward and it just happened to graze over and around Tara's face. Like it didn't land on her? From what I remember, like because it, it was on the floor. Unless it landed and that quickly she took it and slammed it on the floor. It got really <laughs> close to her face. It might have touched her face. I don't know how hard, like, you know, like it's all good, light humor, like everyone's funny, yeah. And then she turns around and everybody goes silent and the eyes she had was like, someone's gonna die. <laughs> and then like Raf was right beside me and Raf wasn't playing, but Raf when he gets nervous, he giggles a little bit. So like he kinda like had a little smirk and she totally thought it was him. She walks up to him, she grabs him, she clocks him right in the jaw. And I was like, Oh I was like, Tara, you shouldn't have done that. If you were gonna do that to someone, it should have been me, because it was me. But it happened so fast. It was a crazy scenario. But it's like siblings at this at this stage. Yeah, like yeah. we've been traveling together for like three, four years, photo shoots events like demos lessons like we're like brother and sister we're hanging out all the time like we're probably hanging out like over 14 days a year sleeping in the same hotel well, taking traveling the same together flights, changes it all like yeah. all of that right yeah. so like at the end i i went up to a room and i knocked i said tara i'm so sorry like things escalated quickly like i shouldn't have done that probably shouldn't have done that like <laughs> and i understand like tomorrow's finals like you're all worked up i'm worked up like raf's jars <laughs> like no no one's getting anything good out of this like i'm sorry that like it's stemmed from me i apologize don't fuck with tara don't fuck with tara that's, that's fact yeah right yeah, there. yeah yeah, Absolute yeah. Fact. and at the end of the day the biggest loser were raf and tara and like it all was caused from me <laughs> and like they both were the biggest they both podiumed next day I was going to say didn't they which were great well? yeah yeah I felt like I probably should have made final but I didn't that might and, be karma uh, it might have been karma a little bad juju there uh, what do you think is the most underrated wakeboard trick mm. that's a good question thank you could be boat could be cable I'm like my brain in went general, to boat right away that's what i was kind of figuring where it'd go because you just said boat 51 boat i mean i think a pete rose is a good one because if you can't get past the stage of like getting smoked yes and then i would say another one would be something like a toeback five those are on some, the boat specifically some secret tricks not secret tricks but like some Tricks that will underrated. secretly take you out. Yeah. If you're playing a game awake, like for a second, drive. if you're not present, you go too early or too late and like you clip the wake or like you overshoot, undershoot, like you might be in trouble. Yeah. I like those answers. Thank you. Other side of the coin. Mm. Most overrated trick. Toeback seven on cable. 100% agree. 1,000% <laughs> agree. That should not be in a contest run in any men's finals ever. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not gonna... Ungrabbed, pre-spun, toeback seven. I don't think the pre-spun factors. I think if it's ungrabbed. I think even if you take it off, teed up, doesn't matter. Fair enough. Okay. I like that answer. That's a good answer. What about boat side of things? Hmm. I got a good one, but... Rap KGB. I knew you were going to say that. That was the one I was going to say. I Actually, can't do Actually, I, I went and judged U.S. Cable Nationals this year at Terminus. And can you guess what the two most done tricks of the weekend were? Pro, amateur, male, female. On kickers only. 
One toe side hit, one heel side hit. I mean, KGB, rap KGB was one of them. KGB. On a cable, too, you didn't have a rap handle. No, not even wrapped. Just KGB, oh, KGB. and Toback 7. Well, Toback 7, I think, is they one of the, the easiest tricks. They were the most done tricks. The most done tricks. Well, they're, that's, they're the easiest. I've never done a KGB on Kicker. Me neither. So and after know. seeing that, I'm not tempted to. Well, you I mean, I'm not to, tempted that. to do it on the boat either <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Toback 7, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with both those. That's, that's good answers. Um, what's the what's the favorite place that wakeboarding has taken you? Because you've gone quite a lot of places. I'm really grateful to have had the opportunity to go to Australia because it's one of my favorite places in the world, and I've gone quite a few times now, and it's still one of my favorite places to go to. Um, I would just say that my favorite place that wakeboarding's taken me is around the world. Like, just to travel in general. Just to travel in general, like just the sheer opportunity to see the world because I was passionate enough about something to chase it, to elevate my writing and to be involved enough that brands saw enough value in me that they were like, hey, we're going to send you to talk to people and do your thing around the world because it's going to help our company. Like the fact that I've been able to, the only continent I haven't been to is uh, Africa. You've been to Antarctica? No. Okay. Close enough. Yeah? Yeah, I went to New Zealand, and I went to uh, Perry Sound, which is all the way at the bottom. Interesting. And is the most southern part of, uh, I guess, the world, yeah. other than Antarctica. Interesting. Okay. Travel in general. I mean, I like that. That's a good answer. But Australia is one of the, one of the top ones for you. Yeah, like the weird ones would be like Chile, um, Saudi Arabia, Russia, obviously like... Asia super rad. Uh, Japan, Korea, Philippines. A lot of places. I mean, I've got to see so much of Europe. Like, at the end of the day, like, getting to wakeboard and travel and to see the world is amazing. And then I, everyone's like, oh, you got to see everywhere and do all. I'm like, well, you need to see it in a different perspective. So we get to go somewhere. We see the airport. We see a hotel. We see typically an event site. And then one restaurant or two, and then maybe a bar. And then that's about it. So everything in between. So like, it's not like we go long enough to like go visit all these things that we want to see and to experience the rest of the things. So if we were lucky enough, it was an event that was put on by a sponsor that would get you in early for press or for something else. And then you had time to experience one day or two more days of like local things and activities and then if they're showing up early, they want to go see a place or go to a certain restaurant, and then you obviously get invited, and you get to experience it. Get a little bit more. Those yeah. are the best parts. Okay. I like that. So let's talk about, you had a long, fruitful career, and it kind of heated up towards the end of it. I mean, you did win the Wakefest shootout, what was that, 2018? 2017? I think it 2018. 2018, okay. I think 2018. I think, was that the last year was 50Gs, or maybe it wasn't? Maybe it was next year. It was Gunther the second Gunther. last year that it was 50. Okay. So I guess the, the lead into that is kind of when do you start seeing the end of your wakeboard career as a sponsored rider? You know, when does that start happening? And when do you start realizing that maybe this is kind of coming to an end for me as a rider? I mean, I, I knew that I was like a late bloomer. So like, you know, most of the guys that I looked up to were like a year or two older than me. Like the whole Pointless crew, 
like they're not that much older than me um although they were my idols you know we're about the same age so like i came in older but with like a younger perspective and bloomed with a younger crowd um so i always i was always conscious of that that i was like on the older end of like i guess my generation um so i knew that like obviously i i was aware of all the youngsters that were coming up in the talent uh so i knew that competitive wise like at a certain point actually the year i turned 30 i was like this is going to be probably my last best competitive season and then i ruptured my achilles and then from there i was like i'm gonna make my comeback and then we'll see so like 30 31 last year competed was 32 and then after that my contracts ran out and i knew i was going to be done competing um but those last few years like i set myself up with the sponsors to be able to bring value in other aspects than like my contest results and that being said like you know no brands invested in me because solely of my contest results because i was not your podium guy you know i won three pro contests in my life i made maybe a dozen podiums i was not like the guy that was on the box at the end of every weekend I was the one that made friends with everyone and then like I would stay up all night not necessarily drinking myself to shreds but like if there was something happening I wanted to be there you were around I was around yeah you know and like if they're coaching and teaching and doing demos I'm involved I grew up learning how to teach with JF Gosselin on his tour in Quebec I worked at the projects I learned how to judge I judged provincials I judged Canadian nationals so I ended up judging the Pro Tour for a couple of years. I judged like some cable events for the WWA. So like I always found a way to stay involved because I cared and I wanted to be involved. I wanted to be there. I wanted, you know, if I got to choose how I was going to get paid, well, I want to get paid doing what I liked, what I loved, which is what I still love. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So speaking of that, I mean, what, so what's your transition been like? What do you do? You just kind of mentioned some of the stuff you do, but what do you do now? in terms of because you're still involved in the industry so what do you what do you do now so i'm a sales rep for a couple different brands so i uh, started when i was still riding i uh, introduced follow to uh, the canadian distributor who used to sponsor me through hyperlight ronix so mary fraser distributes follow in canada so he was like hey do you want to take over quebec so i said yeah sure i'd love to do that so i did that for one year so i've been doing that for seven years now so i started with follow in quebec and then the next year steve the 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 founder of follow and still brand manager was like hey we need some help to grow it out in the u.s you want to help and i was like yeah so then i grabbed and i grabbed it and ran and i started getting involved in the sales aspect and then a couple years later on my buddy jeff house who's the sales manager for aftermarket at Roswell hit me up. He's like, Hey, I hear you've been doing sales in, you know, the Northeast and the East coast for follow and that you're doing well. Like, are you interested in joining Roswell and helping out, you know, grow the brand and the awareness and the product in the Northeast? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Let's talk more. So I got involved there. It's been like four years there. And then, um, I just, you mentioned it earlier, but at the end of the midsummer. I was like, okay, so I need to find a different brand that offers a different category of products. So I do follow, I do soft goods. I do Roswell, I do aftermarket boat parts. 
I need hard goods. So I reached out, Billy Witcher, shout out, and I had the conversation with him. And he's like, well, let me speak to Colin, the sales manager at Liquid Force, and to Don, Don Wallace, and uh, you know, we'll see what they think and we'll go from there. And that was a Friday and on the Monday I, got a, I had a meeting. So the next week, it was about time to hit the road and I was like, oh my God, this is happening so quick. Um, luckily the samples were arriving to the US delayed. So I had more time to get my shit together, to sort out my stuff <laughs> and to organize my life to be able to Plus hit the road and like right to there. do it properly. Um, but yeah, so that's what I do now. I'm in, I'm in sales. So I essentially have my own agency. So I do a couple different brands for different territories. So I do Quebec, Ontario. I do the whole East Coast down to Florida. And then I do, um, with follow, I do still the mountain states. So Utah, Colorado, Montana, Idaho. Mountain states. Interesting. That's what I call them. Well, I mean, no, you're right. I was just, that's an interesting group of uh, United States that you got there. Mm. You've been well, because at first I did the whole U.S. on my own. Yeah. And then eventually I had too many accounts and I was like, I can't do it. And like, I also do Quebec and like, I yeah. also want to have a life and like, I can't spend all of my income on traveling. Um, so Steve was like, well, you should put a, you should assemble a sales team. So... I hit up Derek Grassman, who took the the whole Central from Midwest to South Central. And then the next year, I got Jimmy Trask on board to do the West Coast. There you go. So my boys. Got your own little squad going. Yeah, yeah. And that's my favorite part of like, you know, I created those relationships years ago. And then by still being involved and by being curious and still showing up, some opportunities come. Sometimes you have to seek them out. Um, but, you know, good things happen if... If you care and you show up. Good thing happens when you're around. Absolutely to that. Uh, how often would you say you wakeboard? This year was a different year. So this year I wakeboarded once on the boat, two or three times on cable. I water skied in the course four times. I wake surfed twice and I foiled twice. And I e-foiled twice. Okay. So I did everything, but I didn't do it nearly as much because I had a wedding to prepare. I got married and I went on a honeymoon. And then by the time I came back, it was selling season. Fair enough. Wedding kind of jogs a little bit there. You going to up those numbers next year? Yeah. Next summer? That's the plan. Okay. Well, yeah, the, the goal is, especially with Liquid Force, is like I want everyone to know how to sell the product. And how to sell the product is you need to know what they feel like. So my goal is to get on the water with everyone. There you go. Love it. Yeah. All right. Um, I mean, I mean... Anything else you want to talk about? Anyone you want to thank? Anything like that? Man, at this stage, like I feel like we talked a lot about about a lot of things. We talked about a lot of things. Um, I mean, we could probably <laughs> do a part two and keep chatting. Um, but uh, no, I don't think I have anything else to say. Do you? We'll find out in a couple of days. Yeah, we will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, anyone anyone you want to thank? Whether at three mm, career, family, friends, I have so many like people that. I'd like to thank. So if I don't mention you, I apologize. First and foremost, I'd like to thank my parents and my family for the support and the opportunity. Um, all the people that have helped me and supported me along the way, uh, given me a chance to live my dream. Um, obviously, my wife, Charlotte. Um, I love you very much. And uh, you for uh, caring and loving the sport enough to dedicate your time to put on this show and to keep showing up. Absolutely. Did I come before Raf there, or did you already mention Raf? I said my family, so Raf is included. I'm a half count that one. 
I'm not going to have count that one. Hey, hey, how, how many I'm praises kidding. do I need to give that little rascal? <laughs> All right. I mean, uh, I think we're going to wrap you, this Raph. up. I yeah. miss you. I haven't seen you in a while. I miss you. Love you too, Raph. Miss you. I only saw you once, but it was great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. I say we wrap this up here. Uh, thank you for coming on, Ollie. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe. If you want to support the podcast, join the Patreon. Grab some merch on the website. You guys know the deal. Thank you so much for tuning in. See you.